Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh my dear brothers, sisters, friends and the foes out there and welcome to another episode of the Blood Brothers Podcast with your host Dili Hussain. Before I introduce today's guest I want to remind all the avid podcast listeners that you can find this show and all three seasons on all the major audio platforms and if you're watching via the Five Pillars YouTube channel don't be cheeky, remember to click subscribe. Today's guest is someone that is hot off the press, trending and has been for the last week. He's an entrepreneur, He's a matrimonial life coach, relationship advisor. He's a health and fitness advisor. Just to name a few of his accolades, a very recent apprentice uh, candidate, and that's none other than Dr. Asif Munaf. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Honor to have you on, brother. Thank you. You've been on a crazy podcast run. I have, yeah. Save the best of last. Oh, you took my words out of my mouth. Let me ask you something. And I don't think anyone else has asked you this. When you signed up to BBC Apprentice, uh, it's not a secret uh, that Alan Sugar yeah. is a staunch Zionist Jew, right? And had you been successful, mm-hmm. you would have been in business mm-hmm. with someone who's staunchly pro-Israel mm-hmm. and an avid Zionist. Mm-hmm. Is that something you ever considered or thought about before signing up? So good question. Um, no warm-ups here, straight in, I like straight it, in. I look it. So when I applied for The Apprentice, it was a strategic decision to not only get business investment, but mentorship as well, and build a brand around that. You know, people on The Apprentice, those that do well, aren't those necessarily that win the process, or those that on the back of it can launch a product, a service, or even themselves as a brand. So that was my initial thinking behind it. I was, I was moving very strategically, I had a social media Momentum before that as well. Apprentice came along and in fact, they're the ones that really wanted me on the show. They knew I'd bring the most value. So even before The Apprentice, I had the most followers on Instagram from all the other candidates. I had my own YouTube channel, own podcast as well. I had my own brand, so to speak, before The Apprentice. Apprentice only accelerated that. Um, As for going into business with Lord Sugar, uh, if I'm completely honest with you, I did not know about um, his views in Israel. Did you know he was a Jew? I, I knew that, yes. Okay. But not all Jews or Zionists. The vast majority are. The vast majority. Yeah. There's a certain studies say somewhere between 60 to 80% of all British Jews are Zionists. Mm-hmm. They support the Israel of some kind or yeah. some spectrum. And he's certainly one of them. Yeah, so th- that was, I was not aware of that. I didn't, uh, you know, in terms of going to business with a Zionist, I'm a vehemently anti-Zionist. We know that from, from the press. We know that for many, many years. I'm against the political ideology of Zionism. Mm-hmm. I have the utmost respect for those that practice Judaism, as Allah uh, describes in the Quran, those that, you know, uh, had the Sabbath, the Sabbath, those that practice Judaism, those who follow Musa, those who follow Ibrahim, those who follow Yaqub I have the utmost respect for those who eat kosher, who are Jewish in faith and Jewish in principle, which means circumcisions, which means kosher meat. We talked about this offline, you know, mm-hmm. shellfish, etc. I have respect for them. <coughs> as for Zionists, we have Dr. Zaman, who's a Bengali Zionist. We have Dr. Uh, we have Noor Dahri, oh God. who's a Pakistani Zionist. We have um, our brother Luai, who's an Arab Zionist. And so, so exactly, so Zionism itself is a political ideology, which was th- founded in the late 20th century, in the, sorry, uh, late 18th. Late 19th. Uh, sorry, le- yeah, late 19th, so 1890s by Theodore Herzl, who was himself was an atheist. Nothing to do with Judaism itself. So Zionism as an ideology, 125 years, which then got enshrined into law with the Balfour Declaration in 1948 after that. So it's a very much a political movement, a political stance. 
my criticism is of Zionism itself, not of the Jewish race or the people. Um, let's just say, let, let's let's speak hypothetically now, right? Let's just say you were successful. Mm. Let's say you even made it to the final stages, right? Yeah. And you came to the knowledge, because obviously like The Apprentice is pre-filmed. It was filmed, what, seven, eight yeah, months ago? Yeah, yeah, before right. airing, yeah? yeah? So that was way before October the 7th. Yeah. So after October the 7th, everything was heightened. Mm-hmm. Amongst all camps, all demographics, irrespective of where you stand on the Palestinian issue. So naturally, all your comments about Zionism, your colourful language, like quite accurate language, mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, all of that came into fore afterwards, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but it was filmed before that. That's right. Let me ask you hypothetically, if you were to, be, if you were to have been successful mm-hmm. and then you realised, okay, because you're saying you didn't know that Alan Sugar was a staunch Zionist, mm-hmm. If and when you have realised that, would that have affected your relationship with him? Not relationship, but I think monetary in terms of investment, perhaps, yes. Okay. Because we, an important part of business is integrity and it's alignment of values and views. So I would go into business with anyone of any faith and any religion, provided they are not a Zionist. Zionism is my biggest pet peeve, so to speak. We've got doctors who are Zionists. We've got... You know, I want people in our own community who are Zionists as well. I think Zionism itself, which I'm massively against, I think it's caused nothing but harm. I believe it's a flawed ideology. And I'm willing to be educated on the fact that where is the correlation? I've not seen any correlation between Judaism itself, the the Orthodox Jewish community, those that practice their religion mm-hmm. in, in, in London, whatever the case may be, in Jerusalem, for instance, the Torah Jews, the Orthodox um, the Turaikata and these ex- guys. Absolutely. Yep. I still do not see any correlation. I'm, I, I'm willing to be educated on that, but in my reading over the last 12 years since university, I've not seen any correlation between Orthodox, uh, Orthodox Judaism and this relatively recent movement of Zionism, <coughs> which actually was very much a British thing. Theodore Herzl himself was Austro-Hungarian. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing to do with the indigenous people that claim to have that land, i.e. the Jewish people. Yeah, I think the biggest religious deviancy of, of Zionists is that uh, Orthodox Judaism believe that they're in exile. Absolutely. And that God would not give them a state yeah. until the coming of the Messiah yeah. and so forth, right? Now that's a different conversation yeah. itself. So Zionism is a massive bid'ah. Exactly. Borderline in kuffar within Orthodox Judaism. It is a khwarij amongst them, yes. their, their religion. Yeah. You understand? It yeah, is yeah. a huge bid'ah. And they are in exile. Uh, we saw with the 12 tribes of Israel, the, uh, you know, in the Quran as well, mm. in the Surah Taha, so many. In fact, Moses is the most mentioned prophet in the Quran. Mm-hmm. Musa, Moses, the, uh, and they are waiting for the Messiah, the Mashiach. Until he comes, they cannot have their home. They cannot have their homeland. So Zionism flies in the face of Orthodox Judaism. Why do you think that they're the loudest voice and representation of Jews in the world then? Just your personal thoughts, because they are. Yeah, you know I mean? they I mean, are. To, to, to deny that would be to deny reality. Yeah, no, absolutely. The loudest, most largest voice and representation of Jews around the world mm-hmm. in Jewry are Zionists. Yeah. Why, why do you think that is? I think Zionists have hijacked a conversation mm-hmm. around Judaism. Judaism itself is a peaceful religion. They live peace, you know, with Muslims side by side in Andalus. Had not for a thousand years. Absolutely. Uh, in Medina, you mentioned it as well, you know, in the markets of Medina, we live side by side. Yes, there was treachery at times, we went to war as well, but... That's completely different. That wasn't because they were Jews. Exactly. That's because they were seditious. Exactly. And yeah. they broke the covenant. Yes. Exactly. So it had nothing to do with their religion. So anti-Semitism has no place in Islam. And I must make that clear. Anti-Semitism itself has categorically no place in Islam. Agreed. You know? 
Anti-Zionism, though, has a firm place in not just Islam, but in every conscious and compassionate person's mind. This should be our default stance, anti-Zionism. And in fact, under the 2010 Equalities Act, anti-Zionism is a protected characteristic. Mm-hmm. You know, just like you know, age or gender. Age, gender, race. Religion. Exactly. Anti, holding anti-Zionist views is a protected characteristic. Just like gender and all these things we have here now, mm-hmm. having a staunch anti-Zionist view should be protected. But as, as we know, in my case, it wasn't. So let's bring it back to The Apprentice, right? The very famous clip of you prematurely clapping, thinking that you had won. I, I found that hilarious, by the way, yeah? And what was it? Tell me the three Bs again that was in your CV. Four Bs. Four Bs. Come on, bro, don't do me dirty. Yeah, so brains, b- business, body, body, beauty. Beauty. And then obviously Alan Sugar came with the fifth one, yeah? yeah. Which, which actually you need, that's fortitude, isn't it? Fortitude, a testicular fortitude is important. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously that lasted for three weeks, yeah? Um, you were on the losing side three times. Second time you were bought into the boardroom, yeah. said, give me a chance, let me be the PM. The next week, the week after the third week, you were part of the uh, alternative. Yeah, mixing of the teams. Yeah, yeah, escape, escape room, augmented reality, yeah. right? Uh, how did you feel that you did? Honestly, how did you feel that you did in the in in, in that third week? Um, in the third week, I wasn't assertive enough as a as a PM. I, I do feel that. I think the mixing of the teams kind of threw me off. Had I known the task for third week would have been virtual escape rooms, I would not have put myself forward. As, prematurely as a PM in the week before. But, but did you do that to save yourself? You must have I, I did, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was a, it was a move to save myself, absolutely. Mm. To give myself, you know, s- someone like Lord Sugar likes people who show a bit of fortune, sure. you know? And that was me, like I put my neck on the line. I don't want to be a, a wallflower on the wall. Mm. I want to be integral part of the team. And let me show you, if I'm claiming these things on my CV, let me show you, I can lead teams. Mm-hmm. And that was my thinking behind it. And uh, it didn't come to fruition. The, th- the task was way above my head. What did you think of the end, end product that you produced? The end product, I think it was quite a novel concept. It was a good game, um, quite complex. I think too much complexity, right? It, you know, you don't want to be too simple, but you don't want to be too, too complex. I think we had a kind of la- <coughs> a lack of coherence in the final product. Um, there was no narrative there. It was surreal but also realistic it was slapstick but also sophisticated you know there was no cohesion and i believe just like in the kitchen tasks too many heads too many chefs boiled the broth and i think that was the case with us as well with with designing time pressures Uh, but yeah you know if you lose the if you lose as a pm you should be fired and i was the first pm to to be fired or rightly so you can't you can't blame other people for failure of the task if you are the pm there was one bit in the in that episode where where you were doing the presentation, the pitch, and one of the uh, prospective clients said, "Is this supposed to be serious? Yeah, or not? Like, because I get it if it's not serious, and you're like, no, this is supposed to be serious. Yeah, yeah. So you had an opportunity there to kind of like yeah. So we, we would have got more investment, hundred thousand pound more investment. Yeah. Uh, hypothetically, if we if if I had gone with the surreal, but I'm a man of integrity. It wasn't surreal. It was supposed to be realistic." And I'm going to go with that line. Okay. When the whole anti-Zionism, anti-Semitism stuff exploded online, mm-hmm. who, was it a campaign against anti-Semitism? Correct. Yeah, these Khubatha al-Khaba'ith, these guys lead it. Um, 
and Dr. David Mill in a previous episode uh, highlighted their very dodgy and nefarious agenda and their links. For example, what's publicly accessible about who their directors are and so forth. Um, and there was a massive pylon, yeah. right? Yeah. When all that started, did any of your former uh, colleagues from the show contact you? Without, you'd have to mention the names because we don't want to put them into any... Yeah. But did anyone contact you saying, yo, I see what's going on? Yeah. Is this true? Or like, brother, this is disgusting? I think quite a few did. Okay. And they were supportive. They said, you know, we're here for you if you need us. It's what's going on in the news. It wouldn't be nice. And in fact, they didn't interrogate further. They said, you know, we believe you. If you, we're here if you need us. And I think they were good. Because we lived together in the house, right? We had, you know. How was that? House is, is quite a weird setting, right? You, you, you're in the house. It's like being back at university again. Because let's be honest, right? You're a, you would describe yourself as a practicing Muslim, yes. or an observant Muslim. Yeah. And to live amongst non-Muslims, mm. uh, it's, it, within in a house, it has its challenges mm. uh, from salah times, mm. dietary conditions, yeah. uh, even the way you know we may shower or clean or how we are in the bath. There, there's so many things, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How, how did you how did I you think if you that? make your boundaries clear and you have red lines, and you say, look, this is where I stand. These are non-negotiables. I can't have pork there or this, alcohol, etc." The production team were actually very, very respectful of that. Okay. You know, they were respectful of my boundaries and that was a condition for the show. Con condition for the show, if we win a task, no alcohol, certain things, uh, I wouldn't go on. I wouldn't like go swimming with my trunks, etc. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, Dili was, I need to make sure I pray my salat on time. Mm. You know, I was a musafir. We are traveling all over. I had to make sure. They told me to keep the direction. Because you don't have a phone with you. Yeah, yeah. I said, look, we need to know the Qibla direction. Whatever, which ho whichever hotel, Luton Airport we stayed in, etc. We had to know the hotel. Because Qibla, you know, phone, smartphone app. Standard, yeah. You know, but um, they were good. They actually told us the Salah times. So, okay. you know, the, all the production team, we got filtered down from the executive producer all the way to the runners. Yeah. You know, Dr. Asif need all, and two others, there was two other Muslim candidates as well. And we, they got up at this time. And they were respectful of that. When they ordered food on tasks, they made sure it was halal. If possible, if not, they got they gave us the the fish or the vegetarian options. Alhamdulillah, overall they were accommodating, and I've got nothing against the broadcaster. Mashallah. Um, how was your relationship with the other two Muslim candidates? Uh, it was convivial, respectful. Um, in the house, you're obviously not allowed to disclose disclose private affairs and personal life, so we kept it convivial. I prayed, and then they prayed after me in in terms of that. And, uh, what do you mean that like, you're not allowed to speak about? So yes, yeah, so production team says, look, you guys aren't friends. You hear 18 of you, your business, your business, not foes, but competitors, your yeah. candidates, right? So don't be pally pally because you might have to fire someone in the boardroom. And that's actually very good advice. Okay. You know, do not be pally pally with everyone. Keep it professional. Keep it, keep it diplomatic. Keep it courteous and social. Keep it civil, but do not become friends. But yeah, do not become friends because you don't know these people. Okay. And you don't know their previous life, you don't know you know their agendas, and you are going to bring them back in the boardroom one day. You are going to meet them in the boardroom. And they may show after you. Exactly, so do not form friendships. So what does, that, so what does a standard day look like then? Uh, if you're not allowed to speak about personal life, your your interests, and yeah. your... Okay, so, so no dawah then, no? No, no, no dawah, <laughs> but dawah is for action, right? What of did, course, what of did course. Umar, Umar bin al-Khattab uh, say, you know, Umar um, and the second Khalif, yeah. if only we embody Islam in our, uh, sure. you know, in our actions. The whole world will become Muslim. So you, in, you know, indirect dava in a way. Okay. I don't drink. I gotta wake up at this time because, in fact, if you see the apprentice, we leave the house very early. 
Just you're up. You be up, you're up, yeah. So we up for Fajr. I'm sorry, we, we can only leave the house when Fajr enters. You answered the call on which, I think it was the first second you answered the yeah, call, didn't right, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you didn't even look tired or nothing. All is ready, bro. Okay, mashallah. Yeah. Um, so the whole thing blew up. There was a chain of tweets, yeah. um, you know, describing Zionists and Israel in a particular way. Mm-hmm. Um, some very acute and descriptive language. Mm-hmm. Um, this stuff was taken, screenshotted, yeah. a pylon started huge right-wing media coverage mm-hmm. um how did that make you feel once you realize ah oh, it's happening mm-hmm. uh, what was your initial feelings so it all started in october end of october so the jewish news did an article about me saying at that time they didn't know i was on go, go, going to be in the apprentice because there's a there's a media embargo right we get filmed we get sent home when we get fired or whoever wins then we, we can't tell anyone. You've got to make up alibi. I was on the, uh, you know, I was volunteering or something. You've got to make up alibi. While we were away for all them weeks. Yeah. So nobody knew in the media. A lot, a lot of family and friends didn't know either. Mm. So Jewish News did an article on the 30th of October saying this D- Dr. Asif, ex-Dragon's Den. At, at that time, they only had my ex-Dragon's oh, Den. Dragon's Den, yeah. So ex-Dragon's Den doctor is saying this about Jewish people. Uh, I had uh, not Jewish people, um, Zion, you know, uh, Zionists, but they misconstrued that and mischaracterized me as talking about Jewish people. A standard, you know. So the co- uh, obfuscation, conf- uh, conflation, extrapolation, classical tactics, PR tactics, right? We talk about Zionists always do this. They 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 are the ones that conflate Jews and Judaism to Israel and Zionism. Yeah. They do that. The, their critics don't. The yes. rest of the world doesn't. They do that. And also, just to clarify, I am Pashtun. I'm Semitic. There's actually theories out there. Oh, no, no, no. There's theories out there. Oh, no, no. We descend. <laughs> we descend from you know the, the one of the tri- tribes. One of the tribes. Some say lost tribes. Some say Yusuf yeah. alayhi salam. Yeah. We don't know. Hence, our features are very Semitic. Mm. You know, I've actually been you know away from you from Lebanon, you from Israel. We know Israel doesn't ex- you know as as entity is a political entity. It's not a nation or a country. So people have said, are you from that part of the world, the, the Levant, etc., yeah, the Holy Lands, right? Yeah. So we are Semitic. So we cannot be anti-Semitic, right? It's like being a self-hating Bengali. Mm. Obviously, they don't accept that argument. They yeah. only deem that they are, they are the only Semitic people yeah. on Earth. And the, the irony, the deep irony... The Zionists are actually Europeans. Exactly. And the logical fallacy, exactly, Ashkenazis, etc. The, the, Polish, the, Russian, yeah, German. Absolutely. Austro-Hungarian, exactly. Yeah. The, the logical fallacy is... Theodor Herzl, Netanyahu, uh, Netanyahu even, and a lot of these guys in the last 125 years who are statesmen and real torchbearers for the Zionist project. I call it a project, not even an entity, it's a project, right? It's a few decades, few hundred years, Allah walim, the project, nothing more than that. Just that will come to an end, inshallah. Yeah, inshallah. And, and this is, we had this. We had mutiny in the Muslim lands, ambassadors, Umayyads, even within our own lands. Mm. We had mutiny, you know, and this is, you can see it as a mutiny within the faith of Judaism. Mm. Hijacking of this faith of Judaism, which is mentioned in the Quran, by the way. Hijacking by secular Jews who claim to be Jewish, right? The irony I was, I was going to mention is, they believe they are God's, Zionists believe they are God's chosen people in the Holy Lands, but they don't even believe in God. Mm-hmm. It's a great irony, right? Here's one of the greatest ironies. I mean, I mean, look, the contradictions, the hypocrisy, the irreligiosity of Zionists uh, is is never amazes. It never seeks to yeah. amaze me because obviously Zionists are a spectrum, right? You get uh, Zionist Jews, you get Zionist Christians. Yeah. Most of them, sadly, most of the 
rulers of the Muslim world are Zionists in some, in some shape or form in the way they, they, they defend and support and normalize and aid and abet. Um, so Zionism isn't restricted to Jews alone. Yeah. However, the ideology, the movement, the project, the entity describes itself as a representation of Jews and Judaism. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think this weaponization of anti-Semitism is one of the key strategies yes. to censor yeah. any kind of criticisms. I think that's all breaking down now. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think people are slowly but surely waking up to not really being cared, caring about being labeled an anti-Semite because mm. we know what you're actually talking about is not actual discrimination or oppression against Jews and Judaism. Absolutely. You're talking about criticisms of the Zionist entity or the Zionist ideology. Absolutely. So it's like criticizing a political party in a given country mm. and then being labeled as being phobic of that people. Yes, yeah, so for example, if you were uh, not likening the two whatsoever, it's like basically being a critic of Jamaat-e Islam exactly. in Pakistan and then saying you're Islamophobic because yeah. you criticize. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so or, or the BJP in India BJP. and saying you don't like Hindus. So we have, we have to understand, we have, you know, we have to get the conversation from this very rudimentary obfuscation, deliberate distraction into a more sophisticated level. I know you had a rabbi on recently as well. Yeah. And I'll be willing to speak to rabbi to say, look, is this true? Literally, is this true? Why is, what is the conflation? But you know, they have this PR technique. Israel has this PR technique called <coughs> Hasbara. Hasbara, yeah. You know, essentially, mm -hmm. conflation, dehumanization, then you can justify the Yom Kippur war, you can justify the 2014, 2021, 2023, complete genocidal mm -hmm. tendencies. Um, the thing I was going to say, um, really, is about Zionism, right? Majority of, you know, in terms of number, of the majority of Zionists in terms of number are Christian, Republican, neocons in the southern belt of America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Christian. Mm -hmm. The guys that support uh, Trump and, uh, you know, they hate, they hate Biden, very neocon Republican, born-again Christians, they are the staunchest promoters and advocates and lobbyists for Zionism. True, but you, you, um, America, the American elite and the ruling establishment, whether it's Democrats or Republican, are essentially there at the behest of APAC and pro-Israeli groups. Like we see in the UK, uh, Labour is now increasingly seen as the party of genocide. Yeah. It's assumed anyway the Tories are, right? But we have to be very clear that Zionism and pro-Israeli groups, bro, they don't necessarily differentiate between the left or the right. Yes. You get left-leaning Zionists, you get right-leaning Zionists, but you are correct that the Christian Zionism of America is something very, very uh, unique, yeah. right? And it's deeply embedded within the American establishment. Um, but look, you know, Keir Starmer is a staunch Zionist. Yeah. Um, he's we're seeing increasing number of la Labour MPs that are um, justifying enabling the genocide. Mm. So I think whilst you're correct, I think it'd be unfair to pin it on left or right. Yeah. The fact of the matter is that Zionism and pro-Israeli groups are firmly embedded within the establishment Absolutely. of both Anglosphere, whether it's America, Canada, Australia. The five eyes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. So, and, and, and it's, it's embedded and it's very insidious yes. and pernicious in the way it operates. So they don't operate like the Muslim community does in the UK the operation of Zionism is cross-culture, cross-faith, Yes. but they're unified on the Zionist project. Yes. This is why you've got Hindu Zionists, you've got Christian Zionists, and the most insidious of the lot, by the way, are the Muslim enablers, mm. genocide enablers. 
in the Middle East. Of course, one hundred percent. Just before we move on, just on the issue of uh, I know you mentioned BJP and 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 stuff in India. Um, what's concerning about that example is that Modi has won two yeah. landslide elections. Yeah. He's 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 due to win a third landslide mm-hmm. election. Um, the entire Bollywood industry uh, are fully behind the Hindutva ideology, so it would be wrong to say that Hindutva is a minority. Mm-hmm. Wallahi, brother, Hindutva ideology is mainstream in India. Right now, it is mainstream. It exists in many forms, in a difference, in various spectrums, amongst the Gawale to the Sherwale, mm. to the rich, the poor. And that is really, really concerning for the Muslims of India. Yes. Because like no other time before, mm. are they seeing the normalization of this ideology um, be every, in every facet of their life. Yeah. Um, and with Modi winning consecutive landslide elections, it's showing how increasingly mainstream it has become in India. I just had to put that there because I don't want people thinking that Hindutva and RSS is some kind of minority ideology, bro. It's, it's mainstream in India. And that's, and, and that's unfortunate. And that's testament to the growing growing political flavour, which is Islamophobia. Yeah. Islamophobia now is the only acceptable discourse in global politics. You mm-hmm. can be an open Islamophobe, like Douglas Murray and a lot of these guys, and people will not beat an eyelid about it. No, you get promotions, you get platforms, yeah. you get invited onto shows, you get primetime slots and all sorts. I mean, there's a saying, isn't it? Anti-Semitism really anti-Zionism in the case of uh, the Zionists will get you fired, will get you suspended, mm-hmm. will get you investigated. Yeah. Whereas Islamophobia will get you promotions. Yeah. You can literally start a career um, as ex-Muslims have, have atheists have, neocons have right. and so forth. They've literally created an, an entire career yeah. uh, from Islamophobia. Like, what Swella Braverman said literally three days ago. <laughs> Islamists uh, are in charge of Britain. If she said this about Zionists, or Jewish people, or any other rel- religious minority in the UK, completely cancelled. And it was a Telegraph, by the way, that reported mm. that. Yeah, Completely cancelled. So Islamophobia is called Saeed Dawarsi's dinner table test. You know mm. this one, yeah? Yeah, of course. Islamophobia is the only acceptable form of dinner table undermining. You can undermine Muslims, you know, um, and completely bash Islam, and it goes under the umbrella of freedom of speech. Absolutely. Um, I think the the Telegraph title should have been Zionists are in charge of Britain because that's the truth mm-hmm. and I have no shame or no reservations saying that they are deeply embedded in our institutions they're deeply embedded within our media establishment they're deeply embedded in all the echelons of power this is nothing to do with Jews control the world because Muslims believe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala converts. so we're not we're not part of that conspiracy theory yeah. At the end of the day, one day you will be in power, one day the Muslims yeah. will be in power. And this is Allah's sunnah to take it back Absolutely. and forth, back and forth. So we, we're not from that camp that believe, oh, Jews run the whole and world. And who is that camp? They did This camp, by the way, the truly anti-Semitic camp, I must put it out to the viewers, is the the Tommy Robinsons of the world, you know, the, the, the right-wing neo-Nazis. They are anti-Semitic. You had Nick, uh, Nick, Nick Griffin. Nick Griffin, Mark yeah. Kallaire, yeah. Jim Dowson. Yeah, these, these new patriots, etc., um, you know, the, the new National Front, these are the true anti-Semites. And Europe had a Jewish problem, not the Muslim lands. Yeah, definitely. I, feel, I think, look, I've been engaging with uh, anti-Zionist uh, white nationalists, right? Now, they would say, obviously, look, no, we're against Israel, we're against Zionism. 
but they also talk they, they do talk about Jews and Judaism in a way in which Muslims don't exactly utterly straight bro yeah, yeah. yeah and I think any any of the any of the guys and their supporters that are watching this you would have seen this from my engagement the way some of the far right white nationalists I've hosted in this very seat there the way that, the way they speak about Jews and Judaism Wallah is not the same we speak about it um, they speak about it with uh, a tone of a long history yeah. But we don't yeah, because yeah. when they were kicked out of Europe, they, they came go? to Andalus, yeah, exactly. they came to Istanbul, they came to Baghdad. That's why before Israel, you find Jewish quarters all across the Muslim world, yeah. all across North Africa, in Istanbul, in Iran, in Iraq, you literally find Jewish quarters because Afghanistan. Afghanistan, you find that we gave them their own courts, we gave them their own uh, their laws, mm -hmm. we gave them their own religious services. I mean, uh, some some would even go as far as to say we gave them too much, right? Um, but that's another conversation for another time. Back to BBC Apprentice, when it all blew up, when did BBC get in touch with you? BBC got in touch with me at the beginning of November. And that was on the back of the Jewish news article, which had just been released. Actually, it was on Halloween day. I don't believe in Halloween, but you know, it was a nightmare for me, right? Yeah. 31st, 31st of October. And then on the 5th of November, I was at the BBC training day and they bought this up. They said, look, you guys are going to be released to the press in about two months time, in January time. And we want you to be media trained, media savvy. And for me, they had to give me extra training saying, look, this has been bought up. And the Jewish news article, by the way, didn't just talk about, uh, you know, anti-Semitism. <coughs> it talked about Dr. Asif is a misogynist and a, you know, anti-Hindu. It was complete character assassination attempt. Mm -hmm. Something which they tried to frame me for. Uh, you know, completely off the track. It Why do you say you're anti-Hindu? Do you say something about India as well? No, no, I said about BJP. Okay. Again, I'm anti-genocide. I'm anti-fascism. Even if fascism comes from within Islam, it is not from us. We are not tribalistic people. Yeah. We, we, we don't believe in, in national states, nation states, right? We believe in areas we don't believe in nation states. Like, why is Algeria and Egypt got one line between them? Yeah, why has the whole of Africa and Middle East got straight lines? Because, straight lines. Yeah, because Sykes and Pico sat there with yeah. the whiskey and with a ruler and started drawing lines. Yeah, the Sykes Pico agreement, you look at the, the division of the Muslim lands, you look at where I'm from. Literally, the Pashtuns are divided into two yeah. Pakistan and Afghanistan. For the tribe of the Duran uh, line. Yeah, the Duran line. It doesn't make sense. One day, one foot is in Pakistan, the other foot is in Afghanistan. It doesn't make sense to me. Hmm. It's the areas. And Allah SWT says we divide it into nations and tribes. To get to know one another. Exactly. And not to despise one Absolutely. another. Absolutely. So nation tribes only creates division. Uh, sorry, um, uh, national states only creates division. So, oh yeah, back to, uh, back to the... Uh, the training, the BBC training. Oh yeah, so BBC training says we need to give you... So yeah. everyone had to have training yeah. to get ready for when this was going to go public. Exactly. But you had some special training. Yeah, yeah. I had some D... Diversity e and... <laughs> yeah, D-E-I, I think that's the yeah. word, right? Diversity... Inclusion in, and, and equality. And all that stuff. Yeah, I had yeah, to yeah. do that about other views, worldviews yeah. and... How long was that training? And that was, so I had a bit extra time on the day and then I had like one or two days extra online. Okay. And, you know, to say, look... Did you learn anything about Learn anything about value? Um, to be honest, I, I still had my views because I'm, I'm a Muslim. We cannot be racist. Yeah. As Muslims, we cannot be racist. It, it, you know, literally, that is shaitan, isn't it? Yeah. Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam described uh, you know, racism as shaitan, right? Don't, don't let shaitan get in between you. And also remember this, uh, when uh, when Iblis refused to prostrate to uh, Adam alayhi yeah. salam, one of his issues was that he's made from Torah. Yeah, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. Yes. And because of what he was, yeah. right? So, exactly. so, so it's a type of racism. Exactly. It's a type of racism. It's a type of racism. And um, 
Worse than that, actually. Yeah, exactly. So we cannot be racist. You, you actually cannot say you are a Muslim and be racist. Muslims can be racist. Muslims are based yeah. certainly not from the deen. It's not from the deen. But also, but, but <coughs> the question is, can you be... Because Muslim for me means someone who submits. So can you submit to Allah's laws of creation? I.e. he's created different shades of color. Mm. You cannot. Because what does Islam mean from the word silm or tasalim? complete submission yeah. to his law and order, his regulations, his authoritative manual for how to conduct life. If you are racist, you, are, you have not submitted to his laws of nature. Adam was created and different clays, I think Jibreel, alayhi salam, the-, the Different uh, from all around the oh, world. Oh yeah, yeah, different mods. So if, if you are racist, you're going against the primordial creation, Adam alayhi salam. So you cannot be racist and be a practicing Muslim, right? So they gave me, uh, they gave me training, which, was was beneficial in the sense that it made me tailor my messaging in terms of less inflammatory, less angry, more like an eloquent Muslim, you know, because I mentioned the word ogre. Yeah. And that, that's what they had. And, <laughs> and, and, I, and I clarified that, right? Muslims, we should be eloquent, right? We should be eloquent. Like, yeah. this is... A, 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 Speak with them with the best of speech. Debate with them with the yeah, best of speech. 16, I think, 125. And this is the whole thing about balagha. Mm. Do not talk, but speak. Rasul was gentle in his speech. Mm. And that, for me, opened my eyes to say, as Muslims, we should be, we should have dialogue with these people, but not emotive dialogue. Our discourse should be eloquent and we should come from a position of strength and, 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 and point out holes in the argument. Um, I agree with you uh, with, with regards to that, but it should also be stated that there is a place within our tradition uh, to be harsh. Yeah. There is a place in our tradition with the Zalimun, the Fasiqun, those who are open oppressors yeah. of us that there is a place for it. For example, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told Musa alayhi salam to, when he first addresses Fir'aun to speak with him softly or yeah, kindly. Yeah. Obviously when that failed, then the warnings came. You escalate. You escalate, yeah. you escalate, right? Uh, we know of the time where Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, he cursed mm. uh, one of the Jews who who cursed Allah and the mm. Messenger. We know that Hassan bin Thabit, the poet mm, of yes. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, was very harsh in his poetry against the enemies of Islam. Mm. So there is a place for both. Mm-hmm. Um, Prophet sallallahu default was one of mercy and compassion, mm, yes. for sure. But you will find in his seerah when he was speaking to some of the leaders of Quraysh, yeah. the leaders of Quraysh, he used to say to him, Jahannam is waiting for you, yes. Halfa is waiting yeah. for you. So there is definitely a time and place depending on who you're talking to. Absolutely. But regards to the BBC diversity, inclusion and equalities training, um, did you feel that, it, what would have happened if you refused it? They gave me the chance, by the way. To refuse they, it? Yeah, yeah, they gave me the option. I, I thought, you know what, let me just do it. Okay. Let me, you know, it's, it's a half an afternoon. Let me see uh, what it's about, what the fuss is about. And, you know, you never know. As Muslims, we can learn from anyone, right? You, yeah, can, sure. you know, we have to have that growth mindset. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I, I would say the coaching was beneficial in the sense that it gave me narrative control. You know, you don't want the narrative running away from you, you know. So, so it gave me um, a kind of metacognition to understand that people can misconstrue harsh, strong words and they've got legs of their own. You say something, it's got legs of its own. Brothers, after that training, do you think your public language changed? Good question. Do I? <laughs> the, well, the Zionist genocide continued okay. and it got worse. Yeah. It amplified. So my language... Again, the escalation of language, right? Yeah. So it made me understand, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to adopt. 
Of course. What you've understood and what you've learned. So language should be fit circumstances. Okay. Because the genocide got worse. Our brothers and sisters were being killed and slaughtered. Men, women and children in ways that are so dystopian that quite frankly, we're, having, we're only seeing pockets of the footage yeah. that's coming out. Right? Now for someone to try and police the sentiments of the Ummah, bro, this is me personally speaking, and don't ever feel like... Because I've been here with guests, I appreciate the professional remit of brothers and sisters who have to speak in a particular way, and I respect that. Um, I don't have to subscribe to that. And I don't like anyone trying to police the sentiments of our people. No one who enables, no one who justifies, aids and abets the killing of our people gets to tell us how we should mm -hmm. speak and feel about this. Mm -hmm. Zionists have got the, they mm -hmm. are justifying genocide, ethnic cleansing from the highest platforms in the mainstream, wherever they are. Alhamdulillah, they don't have that traction on the grassroots. But in terms of like the mainstream establishments, it's practically all theirs, mm -hmm. right? So now people took that come. Uh, BBC, BBC as well jokes like for them to come and try telling us to tone down our language about the Zionists and again the huge irony, isn't it? Yeah, it's we talked about the Zionist irony yeah. about not even believing in God, yeah. but yet wanting a homeland that God promised. Again, BBC bastions of free speech, free speech, freedom of expression, exactly. free, free media, free press. Uh, quite frankly, our, our biggest mouthpieces of the Zionist entity in their misrepresentation, their distortion, uh, and their disproportionate nature of how they, they the language they apply when describing Palestinians and Zionists. So that happened. You got your diversity training. The press covered that as well. So you've already been singled out as mm. someone who, amongst the contestants, is someone who's who's had this additional training. You are marked already. Mm. When did the um, cutting off from the spin-off show afterwards happen? Yeah, so we got announced on the 23rd of January. Yeah. And that time, uh, I was in Morocco, had my, my cafe out on, mm. you know, support from the brothers in, in Maghrib. And um, I did a video saying, uh, I'll be on The Apprentice, because <clears throat> we were allowed to tell people that <clears throat> at the time. And Telegraph, again, the usual culprits, picked it up with the cafe. Yeah. And they said, um, Apprentice candidate, sorry, because uh, now it's public knowledge that these are the 18 candidates and I, I was the one with the highest profile in, in that sense, already been covered by Jewish News in October. Now Jewish News, the JC, the Telegraph have got more, let's say, ammunition now. Dr. Munaf, it's not only been a drug then, four years ago, he's actually going to be on this year's, this yep. year's Apprentice. Yep. And, uh, you know, people know it's Did you feel it was coming though? Did you ever feel that this is Yeah, yeah, so th this is this is what I almost had weekly meeting with, with the production team. So they say, you, you're going to face a tsunami. So they knew it. And you know, I respect them. They looked after me in that sense. They gave me welfare training and well-being training. They put me in touch with, uh, with a psychologist, a very um, sensible lady. She knew tsunami is going to come. And she said, you know, we, we need to protect you from the tsunami. But little, little do they know, we have Allah. Alhamdulillah. We don't need protection. And that, that maun al qalub, you know this this piece of heart, mm -hmm. like um, um, Ibrahim salam in the fire, Allah made the fire cool, peace cool, cool for him. You know, barid salam for Ibrahim. That's what Allah says in the Quran. Barid cool and salam source of peace for him. So this is why it only strengthens our faith. Trials and tribulations. We don't go down the conventional welfare well-being because our risk, our Mu'la is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And for me, I smiled at it. Honestly, like, how, how are you so nonchalant about it? 
because they don't see the next life like we see it. We, you know, we see this life in two phases. This is just a prelude to the real life. So whatever happens here, it's a very short one. Yeah, it's it's like a waiting area of an airport. Mm. Literally, it's a lounge, waiting lounge of an airport. Mm. You go into the destination. So do not take it to heart, mm. and do not let it get to your head as well. Ego, fame, all these kind of things that have come on the back of the apprentice. Don't let it get to your head, and don't let the naysayers get to your heart. And that's what our, our dean teaches. Well, it goes without say that you will probably be remembered as the most memorable Muslim candidate in the history of the show, um, for very particular reasons. That's fact. So it's turned out that way. Mm -hmm. That whilst Zionists, their supporters, the mainstream establishment, and so forth have piled on against you, um, Alhamdulillah, the Muslims will remember you, and all the all our non-Muslim allies, people of conscience, will remember you. So there's no denying that Allah may have brought you down in one way and then yeah. elevated you in another way. Will I you will I you Islam and Tasha? Will I you Islam and Tasha? Absolutely. And this is we need to remember this. He elevates whom he wills and he debases whom he wills. Absolutely. Because we see daily the game of life in not even 4D, we see it in 100D. Because the dimensions of Jannah are different. We have five senses in the UK, yeah? Mm. Uh, so no, no, you have five senses in the world, right? You got you know, smell, sight, etc. Yep. In Jannah, we don't know how many senses, infinite senses. 100%. And they will be amplified. So we see the game of life in 100D. So your moves in this life should correlate to where you want your station in Jannah, where you want to be in that station in Jannah. And we obviously aim for the seventh heaven. We aim for Firdos. Firdos. You know, the highest station of Jannah. So we, 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 we do not get phased by this. And we know even if you lose that in dunya, we will win in the next life. And oftentimes, Allah SWT makes you win in this life as well. So as, as, a, as a sign to, to, the, um, to the disbelievers that the one person who posts tawakkul in Allah, he will open up doors for him. And you know where this is from, by the way? Surah At-Talaq. Allah SWT says to the believing men and women, when you part gracefully, Allah will provide for you sources yep. from, from places you don't even know. 100%. Um, I want to just kind of do like a recap of a chronology. So um, <clears throat> October the 7th happened. The Jewish news covered the story based to do with Dragon's Den and some comments from the past. January was basically when you guys had a bit of media training before the announcement on the 23rd. Did your video. Uh, another pylon. When did the slash come from the BBC show though? The spin-off show? And the slash came in week three. The week I was going to get fired. You're, all, you're supposed to come on to that show after? Yeah, exactly. So I, was, I filmed. I went to London with my family, stayed in a hotel filmed you're fired which i think went very well by the way you know i had a great time showed my side of the story went through my episode and did they bring up any of the dramas no 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 no. it was completely apolitical okay and then filmed it all and then on wednesday night the night before so i thought everything was going well you know we could, they're going to show the you're fired show on thursday after my firing because that's the chance to get to see the real me yeah with, so, with family members in the exactly. audience and stuff. Yeah, yeah. so if you know how the show works Apprentice is heavily edited. You don't get to see the real you. Yeah. You are fired is when you get to see the real you. Yeah. And you get to plug your business, etc. Yep, yep, yep. And then I got a call on Wednesday night saying the who called you? Uh, executive producer of the BB, of the program of the label. Yeah. He says, look, for your well-being, we're gonna have to pull off. We're gonna have to pull you out of your fired. Nonsense. We're still gonna show your fired, but we're gonna edit you out of it. And I don't. I, I've not seen it, but people said it looks really awkward without me because I'm I'm the guy that gets fired, but I'm not in the show. So they have to go around you know they have to kind of go so around. they show your highlights and your bits and bobs yeah. without you being physically present yeah, there. yeah exactly exactly and then that's so off key and even like twitter and all these um yeah it's all there like looks weird yeah, it didn't look right yeah, and all that yeah kind of exactly. stuff. so i've not seen it how Just, do you feel how do, do, you, I feel? do you feel guided 
<laughs> I felt good for being fired, not for being f- fired from your fight. Okay. Because we believe in Qadr Allah, Taqdeer. Mm. You know, we believe in Maktub, uh, uh, whatever's written is written. So it wasn't in my risk to be on your fight. But Allah replaced that with love from the Ummah. 100%. So much more love. Like I was at the Muslim shopping festival yesterday, so much love and duas. Akhi Ayman, your brother, mm. you know, Shiyu, Alhamdulillah, nothing but love. So Allah made me lose in dunya a bit, but he gave me so much more in deen. 100%. Um, did you ever, one of the accusations I saw online was that there were elements of backtracking and did you apologize? Yeah. And So I apologize, like I mentioned to you before, I apologize for my emotive use of language. But let me caveat that. I'm a doctor and a father. The images you've seen, but I know you're a journalist. Images you've seen, Dili, are not the images I've seen. I've seen medical from doctors, by the way. We've got links. Shout out to Dr. Abdul Manan, friends of Alexa. Alhamdulillah, we've got good links to the hospitals. Images I've seen are different to what you guys have seen. When I saw that, I could not be civil. I could, you know, you know, a when you see images, subhanAllah, as a doctor, what you know, and as a father of children, amputations with that, all these kind of things, subhanAllah. Without, without anesthesia. Yep. Raw images, not blurred. You you have to have an emotional reaction. If you don't, you're harder than stone. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes these people. You're harder than, you know, hijr, stones. He says, there are some people who are harder than stone, but, but even among stones, there are stones which water rushes from. So Allah is saying stones are even better than some of these people. Mm-hmm. You know? You're getting emotional. Go on. So th- th- this was it. I had to speak emotionally. But in hindsight, I should have responded, not reacted. And that, was not, that wasn't backtracking. That was just apologizing for any offense I may have caused by the initial ogre tweet. You know, describing physical appearance of these people. And actually, I, I, you know, who, who, who it was in reference to? Noor Dahri. Oh. That was in reference to him, by the way. But he does look an ogre. That's what I said. I said, these, these people are like ogres. Mm. A Muslim Zionist with a beard. I said, these are ogres. And then you're per- perpetuating an anti-Semitic trope, apparently. Mm. SubhanAllah, there's always a way to bring it back to anti-Semitism. Mm. Even when there's nothing to do with that. Mm. Yeah. But when they describe Palestinians as human rats Absolutely. and human animals yes. and, and the IDF soldiers describe our sisters with monobrows and bad teeth, that's okay, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. And yeah. then we had it here. Letterboxes and all these kind yeah, of things. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, de- de- dehumanization, <laughs> mischaracterizations, mm. caricaturing of Muslims is ex- acceptable, by the way. Yeah. When you do it for anyone else, it's seen as anti Semitic, even though it wasn't. It was actually anti Zionist. And I said augurs in terms of. That specific guy. That specific guy, and Zionist generally, as well as, you know, very evil, very barbaric in the way they think. Because how can you carpet bomb? the most densely populated area in the world, which is already a refugee camp, right? Gaza, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't The largest open-air uh, Open air prison, yeah. yeah. How can you essentially carpet bomb two million people? That is augurish behavior. That is very, very, and I don't know, back in the day, there used to be snuff, um, uh, you know, have you heard of snuff? Snuff so, videos, yeah. So this website called augurish. You know, back I've in heard the, of this, yeah? yeah. What does augurish mean? It means evil people who evil, do evil yeah. stuff. Exactly. Mm. Augurish. GMC, when did they get involved? GMC were highlighted to some of these tweets by Campaign Against Anti-Semitism, the same 
the Zionist lobby group that tried to take down Dr. Abdul Wahid and uh, Dr. David Miller in in the, in the past few the past few months. So I knew it was coming because Dr. David Miller came before me, Dr. Abdul Wahid as well. I knew that it was coming because it had been picked up. Campaign against anti-Semitism and Twitter lobby groups. Mm. They, they, they had marked my name and I knew it was a matter of time. And then campaign against anti-Semitism made the formal complaint to the GMC that Dr. Munaf is racist. He's speaking against Jewish people in this kind of, uh, you know, in this kind of tone. Mm-hmm. He's not fit to practice medicine. What if he has Jewish patients? Oh. Subhanallah. What if he has Jewish patients? And, and they, 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 they did the same with Abdul Wahid. Obviously, his one was more to do with attacks against exactly. uh, Jewish terrorism organization. They forget that it was Muslim physicians that treated the Crusaders. Salahuddin's own doctor mm. treated Richard. They, they, they forget we as Muslim doctors, we don't differentiate between an alcoholic and a prostitute. Or they, they, still, these, they, you know, these are human beings, right? They may have had their own past, but a life is a life. How long have, we, how long have you been a G, uh, GP for? No, I'm not a GP. So I'm, oh, I'm sorry. A, yeah, uh, so I've been a doctor, doctor now. This should have been my 13th year. 13th year. So in what capacity were you a doctor? I was, yeah, I was working in a- acute medicine. I was a locum doctor. Okay. I was working in A&E, but generally in rehabilitation and sports medicine. So I was doing bits kind of part-time really, mm. but I was still a registered doctor. Abdul Wahid is someone who's been a doctor for more than 25 yeah. years. He's not had any major complaints or disciplinary hearings mm. in that space. SubhanAllah, this is a man who served his community without as much of a, 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 a look in the wrong way, bro. Mm-hmm. Right? And they've suspended him for the investigation. Right? You're now in that same boat. Yeah. Right? Uh, how much does Dr. David Miller's case will help you, inshallah ta'ala, overcome the suspension? Because his case, they concluded, is that anti-Zionism views have to be protected in the workplace. Absolutely. And the specific example of Dr. David Miller was him likening Zionism to Nazism. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's strong. Yeah, yeah. Stronger than what I said. <laughs> yeah. And, and, th- and they're saying that they've concluded yeah. that that needs to be protected, although such views have to be protected in the workplace. Yeah. How much has his legal case or will his legal And I don't want you to say anything that would bring disrepute to your any ongoing mm. legal proceedings. Yeah. But do you feel that that has set a positive precedent to protect anti-Zionist views in the workplace? Absolutely. Dr. David Miller and his legal team did a great job in overturning his suspension at the Uni- University of Bristol. And that for me has given me hope. It's given me a blueprint, right? To fight against these slanderous, libelous mischaracterizations against my character. I get like Dr. Abdul Wahid, 13th year as a doctor. I qualified in 2012, actually. This, this should be my 13th year. No complaints, nothing but love, nothing but respect, nothing but good appraisals, good, re, good re, re, revalidation, good feedback from colleagues. And we've got, we've got hope, we've got a good legal team, we've got good uh, representation. And yeah, the, the Dr. David Miller case gives us the necessary blueprint the precedent that this now is enshrined in the equalities act 2010 where having anti-zionist views should be protected anti-zionism is a form of anti-racism because zionism by default by its very hideous nature is racism it's ethno supremacy absolutely it's ethno supremacy yeah um before we kind of wrap up the whole bbc uh, uh, apprentice part of this show part of this episode was it wise to publicly call the GMC cowards on Twitter? 
I mean, do you think that'll help your case or not? Because you did, you call him coward. Yeah, right? so one of the things they will use against me is, you know, <laughs> he, he's bringing the regulator into disrepute. Yeah. Uh, he's Or he's essentially uh, has lack of regard for mm -hmm. the regulator. Calling them cowards, why do I call them cowards? What's the opposite of a coward? A courageous person. Okay, bravery, spot of rajula. Mm. And courage is universally respected across the world. Whether you could go to the the Andes mountain range and the Amazon rainforest, or you can go to the jungles of Papua New Guinea, the tribal guys that don't wear anything, mm. or you can go to where I'm from, yeah, the mountains of uh, Pakhtunkhwa. Courage is respected across the world. Bravery, opposite of bravery is cowardice. What is cowardice? Someone who relents to pressure. And you feel like GMT did that? Absolutely. Why do you see it like that as opposed to them just following a procedure? Yeah. Logging something which they've yeah. been clearly piled on against yeah. and they're just following a procedure because yeah. we hope inshallah ta'ala that you are reinstated inshallah, inshallah. and you know honestly bro if you're not reinstated Allah has something better in plan absolutely that's it Khalas. we trust his plan that's it they plot and he, he plots he is the best of plotters and and i i think zionists is they need to understand this you know you know when you get people fired or dismissed uh, lawyers doctors you know your standard primark worker whoever yeah. it is we really don't actually care because a Muslim has the mindset that Allah is a razik. Yes. He will provide. Yeah. And our risk was written 50,000 years before the start of creation. It was. Our risk was written, amount we're going to make. So you can't. There's actually a very good court of during the, the Afghan Mujahideen mm. in the 70s and the 80s against the USSR invasion. And one of the Russian. Uh, it's been a butchered court, but I don't know the legitimacy of it, but the sentiment still applies about how can you beat a people when they see the barrel of a gun, they see the goddess of Jannah. Khalas. And we know the famous saying, and, and, and this is more to do with, let's say, the, the views of the shuhada and the martyrdom, is that we love death more than you love life, right? Meaning that what you said, that this, this station here right now is just a pit stop. Yes. It's a pit stop to our eternal uh, ending, and that yeah. is the akhirah. Yeah. So to wrap up on the whole GMC, BBC uh, Apprentice, uh, and I know as Muslims, we don't really have regrets because we shouldn't, because Qadr, everything's Qadr. Whatever's happened is the way Allah decreed for it to happen. Yes. For sure, you had free will and decision making to have led that way, but Allah always knew the outcome and what was going to happen. Yeah. Are there any kind of reflections on the whole BBC apprentice, your commentary on the genocide that's happening in Gaza that you look back on and think, I could have done better, I should have done better, or no, I stand by everything? Yeah, so I think representing myself in the best possible way, you know, you can be articulate and eloquent and still be vehemently anti-Zionist. And I think... It's the Patani that came out. That, absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it, it came out of my tweets, right? <laughs> so you have to be measured, considered. <laughs> we have to be the Ummah of Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi the middle path. Absolutely. And you can still be very, very anti-Zionist, anti-genocide, anti-fascist, yeah. but be measured, be eloquent be presentable and be a voice of reason in this. But going back to what you said, to answer your question about BBC, yes, or the GMC rather, both of them in fact. Both well, of the, them. the whole thing, because it's all kind of linked, isn't yeah. it? You went onto the show, when it got announced, all the madness happened, the yeah. pylon happened, diversity training being cut off from the show, GMC, those, so those are the three main things, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Your, your diversity, equalities, inclusion training, then it was being cut off from the, you, you're fired, yeah. and then it led to the, G, the GMC investigation slash suspension. So these are three big things yeah, that exactly. happened. Exactly, it's one after the other. So yeah. they have, you know, they were coordinated in a way. But what I'm saying is the GMC is our regulator. It's like Ofcom, 
or like uh, you know uh, like or, how we have impressed yeah exactly impressed for, for journalists um or off german all these kind of things the bbc is a national broadcaster so they have to follow due process and protocol and protocols they have roles and regulations and responsibilities and they merely dispense them this is why i have to say about the matter but if allah wishes to exonerate me he will if not we will meet these people on yom al-qiyama and then we can get exonerated inshallah ta'ala second half some would say this is more the the, the exciting the, the stuff, juicy man. part the juicy part um another story that broke was a matrimonial service that you were uh involved in or running uh, and that was uh arranging marriages f- in Morocco mm-hmm. is were you involved in this so uh, complete uh, non story from okay. daily mail so if you read my response to that i clarify my stance so i do a lot of coaching yeah. I, i divorce uh, sorry i coach a lot of divorced men yeah. trying to get them to be a modern muslim man yeah well dressed well presented well spoken in shape on deen and a lot of these brothers come to me at literally their lowest level in their life they're back on the couch with their mom mm-hmm. they're sleeping they're couch surfing they're sleeping in their car they've had everything taken from them so but they want to get married a man has needs and i'm an advocate of a nikah i'm an advocate of the blessed sacred institute of marriage um i'm an advocate and huge supporter of um making nikah easy like so sallallahu alaihi wasallam said the bl- most blessed nikahs <coughs> the most blessed nikahs are those that are simplest and easy right mm-hmm. um so brothers have gone through legal marriage in the UK they've had half their wealth taken house repossessed etc living on the couch and they said they come to me dr asif look i'm in shape i you know i've got to low testosterone i can't put on muscle i can't uh, shift fat and i've just been left a 20 year marriage i've got needs of course this is from the fitra right man has needs man has urges right what do i do i'm looking at women etc etc i'm like brother you probably don't want to get married in the uk if you've already got your legal proceedings going because uh, legally you can't get married right if you Definitely you know you, you can't get married until the divorce is over which takes 18 months yeah but that, that's that's if you've registered your marriage exactly right? so i don't know why brothers registered yeah so most brothers Sorry. most most brothers did register the marriage why, i don't know why you registered your marriage so most brothers did register the marriage and mm-hmm. i'm like subhanallah you can't get married in the uk because you know you can have nikah but they can't have it yeah exactly so i'm i'm saying and you want someone different right you want someone different so there's Morocco is an option for you. The reason why I said Morocco is it's the closest country. It's only three hours and 20 minutes from Luton Airport or from Gatwick or Heathrow. Very close. Closest Muslim country. And I know a lot of the brothers use Morocco for the moon sightings, right? Yes. It's the closest Muslim country. Yes, 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 yes. So that's what I said. Literally nothing for Morocco, nothing against Morocco. Literally, it's the closest Muslim country to the UK. If you want to marry a traditional Muslim lady, uh, I so believe... Why not, so why not Turkey? Turkey's... Turkey's a bit further, that's why. It's about five hours. That's the only reason. Okay. Literally the only reason. Nothing to do with the state of the Muslim women in Turkey or, or Morocco? Nothing really. No. I've got nothing. I've, I've been to both countries. I love them both. Alhamdulillah, the food is great. The people are great. But Turkey is a bit further away, as far as I know. I think two, two hours more. So you're saying it's more to do with proximity? Absolutely. As opposed to anything specific to Morocco? Nothing to do with Moroccan women, good or bad. I am Pashtun. I've got no you know, eggs in one basket, etc. Pardon the pun. It was literally just to do with proximity. And brothers want to get married again to a Muslimah. 
to Muslima. So a traditional conservative sister who covers, who hasn't necessarily been affected by uh, feminism and yeah. all, 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 all those traits and attributes. And quite frankly, bro, sometimes they don't even have to be feminist. Sometimes our sisters, like their brothers, have just been affected by living in a Western secular society. And it, it's just intense and yeah. constant. Mm-hmm. And maybe brothers want to marry outside of that. Exactly. So you're saying Morocco was the closest destination. That's the only reason. How are you arranging those marriages? No, no, I wasn't arranging anything. I didn't have an app. I didn't have anything. I was literally just mentioning to brothers, this may be an option to you. Because brothers weren't aware. They've just come from a 20-year marriage to you know usually arrange with their cousin from back home. And these were... This sounds like then that means a lot of your clientele were Pakistanis then. Yeah, Pakistanis, actually Bengalis, Indians, Gujarati brothers, and Nigerians as well. Filipino men. Because no, you know, because you said a lot of them were married their cousins. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, cousins or family friends, right? Like okay, take it, take it. Okay, distant cousins, right? They were family. They were related. So they were coming to me saying, "Look, she's not only my wife, but she's a relative of mine, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have any other network." So I was like, "Brothers, look, I know brothers personally that have got married in Morocco. Very successful brothers from the UK, professionals." This may be an option to you. Not that I've done it myself. Not that I have an app for it. Not that I, have, I promote it. I'm just saying, as a brother, Nasir. This is Nasir. Mm-hmm. This is an option to you. Because what is, you know, one of the worst sins in Islam? A major, a kabair sin. Zina. Zina, of course. So if I can <coughs> prevent one brother, one 45-year-old divorced brother, from, you know, committing zina, then I've won. And if that's in Morocco or Turkey or, whatever, or even the UK, whatever the case may be, I'm an advocate of a... Um, you know, uh, of a of an expedient nigga. Have you not advised these brothers? Because I saw some some from the Maghreb and some from the Moroc- uh, Moroccan brothers and sisters uh, when this story broke. Uh, one of the accusations was, well, "Look, why why do Pakistani guys and this? Why do you guys always fetishize Moroccans for? What is it?" And, and I'll be honest with you. <clears throat> if you're a jahil Muslim, yes, you're gonna travel anywhere to commit zina. Absolutely. So if the accusation is that South Asian boys go to Morocco to mess about, mm. it's got nothing to do with the fact that they're Moroccan. Wallahi, the same guys would go to oh, Pakistan so, and Bangladesh yeah. and see prostitutes if there. If they could. If they could. Yeah, 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 but yeah. Like, some of them do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, some of them do. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, they're, like if you, I know brothers have gone to uh, Pakistan, they'll do whatever they need to do in hotels because that's mm-hmm. where, how it's done in those parts of the world. In other parts of the world, it's very, in Turkey, it's legal. Mm-hmm. So... I always want to just say to brothers and sisters, nothing to do with fetishizing anyone. Yes. These juhal, these, these, these bad Muslims, if they're going to Morocco to mess about and commit zina and check prostitutes, they would do the same in any part of the other world. Yeah. And it's, it's sad that it just happens to be the closest destination. Yeah, yeah. And it's a very popular destination to get up to madness and badness, exactly. right? But Morocco is a beautiful country. Absolutely. You know, it's a rich country with rich Islamic history and heritage, and it's got some of the most steadfast Muslims that I've ever Absolutely. met. And it's got a bad side to it because it's one of the countries that's the most open to Western tourism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So a lot of their GDP does rely on tourism, and they are like your your, your Luton bros, your, your your Bradford bros, Birmingham bros. I had to get Luton. Uh, that, there, yeah, sorry, I had to get there, bro. Because <laughs> it's the airport, right? People yeah. just go quickly, halas quickly. So mine was my coaching revolved around practicing brothers who were looking to get married, nikah. The beautiful institution of nikah, and they were going for divorce in the UK. They couldn't have because there's a lot of imams, by the way, as you know, Delhi. They don't actually allow nikah until you've been you, until you processed a week. Uh, you, you, no, no, your process, your registration. Yeah, uh, your your. That's like a new thing. That's it's a, a yeah, thing, it's, yeah. It's kind of a, 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 you know new movement yeah. with prevent etc. A lot yeah. of imams aren't actually doing nikahs in the masjid because this brother 
It's not divorced yet. And this divorce is going to take 18 months, by the way. SubhanAllah. Mm. Take 18 months. So, I'm a, you know, brother, nikah, it should be simple. Do you encourage people to register their marriage? Good question. I encourage them to abide by the laws of the land. Um, there's no law There's no law to say that you have to register your marriage, though. If not... Not yet, anyway. So, I advocate to nikah. Okay. Nikah is beautiful, and in the eyes of Allah, you're married. Khalas, that's it. Yeah. yeah. My issue with um, <coughs> registering marriages, right... And I know this is going to anger some sisters and people, it's just, um, and brothers maybe even, is that it doesn't actually protect justly mm-hmm. either side. Yes. Right? For example, you know, Islam has very set specific conditions for inheritance laws. Yes. Right? If you scrap that, if you don't have, like, let's say a p- parents don't write an Islamic will, what's going to happen is that the sons will get done over mm-hmm. and everything gets shared disproportionately against the Sharia. Yeah. Right? When you register your marriage, my only contention actually is that it affects the census report stats. Mm-hmm. So it's not a true representation of where Muslims are. So quite frankly, if you're not married by the law of this land, you're not married. Yeah, And your children are deemed as mm-hmm. bastards, right? Um, so that's my only consensus, my, my issue with that, because it affects a, a distortion of the representation of statistics. However, registering your marriage it doesn't protect the man or the woman mm-hmm. and it can be unjustly abused by either side yes. imagine an affluent sister mashallah tabarakallah has assets comes from an affluent family you know she is a proprietor she has business she has savings etc and so forth married a husband who sadly for whatever reasons for whatever realities isn't as uh, materially established as her you register your marriage unless it's a prenup Sister, you're in danger now. Mm-hmm. And you can swap it around the other way around. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, more cases than not, it happens to the brothers. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying that it's not once it gets to the the, the civil courts yeah. of this of this land, it gets abused. Yeah. People go get away with things that Allah does not allow you to have. Yes. You do not have haq or right over certain assets and wealth just because the law of this land says so. Yes. Right? So when you register your marriage, you put yourself in that danger. Yeah. That's my position. Yeah. Um and, and, and I've seen the nightmares on both sides. I've seen brothers that have come and said, she's chipped with this, she's chipped with that, she's come half my yard, my mm. money. And I've seen sisters do it as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so <laughs> these brothers particularly, as you said, d- d- disproportionately affects brothers. These were the brothers that were coming to me for coaching. And uh, in terms of equity, yes. So in a registered marriage, they there's no parity of esteem almost there's no equ- islam believes in equity absolutely you know then the nasib woman gets her nasib the children get the nasib get, everyone gets their hot yeah yeah it's 50 50 right and it doesn't work because the sharia of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is divine it's it's a perfect system because it's not man-made it, it, it operates beyond the laws of man-made nature so whereas liberalism and man-made laws especially in the postmodern era Nietzsche famously said, God is dead. Yes. And he, he meant that about Europe, right? Yes. They've gone away from Christian ideals into capitalism. Capitalism now, wealth is their God. So <coughs> when it comes to capitalism and capital allocation, particularly in alimony and divorce settlements, it goes 50-50, mm. which disproportionately affects the man. Because if he's a breadwinner, he is losing out a lot more. So imagine this, you get married and a week later, and, and you're a millionaire as a man, a month or you know a few months later, the woman files for divorce. 
In Islam, she will get her nasib amount in terms of equity. There's actually in the Quran, yes, one eighth, one fourth. Yes, it's, it's so logical and defined. It defined. Yeah, you can't, you can't go beyond. It's just. It's just. It's equity in there. But and you know, non-Muslim men are waking up to this. Yeah, exactly. Wallahi, non-Muslim men are waking up to the fact that they've looked at how Islam kind of like distributes inheritance, distributes the nasib, and everyone's huck and rise. I'm like, yo, this actually makes more sense. It makes more sense because it it was made. By the one, it was brought into existence by the one who created everything, who created the laws of nature, laws of physics. So of course he's going to create the laws of inheritance, mm. and they will be much better than what we can create. Yeah. So trust his plan. So I'm an advocate for nikah. Whether you want to register your marriage or not, that's up to you. But nikah, I'm a big advocate of nikah. And brothers are speaking to girls for for months and weeks, etc., not getting past that stage. And I always say to my clients in coaching. Brother, nikah should be, uh, you know, a discussion after the third meeting. Agreed. What 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 is the common reason you find why it's not going beyond that? A brother's just is there a commitment issue? Are they enjoying just the flexing and the galah? What what is it? I think they're enjoying Snapchat too much, and they're not really serious about marriage because they see marriage. That's not good, bro. Exactly. So they see marriage as a wedding. I don't have money to get married. Why? Because I don't have twenty thousand pound to hire hire a Rolls, hire that venue over there, banqueting banqueting suite, and a honeymoon. Yeah, you can have a simple nikah. You can have a nikah, by the way, in a coffee shop. You can have a nikah as an extra extravagant wedding, or you can have this. You know, Bob. You know, COVID should have taught us this by now. You can have a video nikah, right? You yeah. can actually legitimately people have people have video. You can legitimately, nikah. if the woman is not is, is uh, if the woman is not coerced, and there's a istiqbal and a kabul, it is you know. Um, Acceptance and a proposal, you can have a video nikah. My my first cousin recently got married via video, yeah. and then when he went back to Bangladesh, then they had like a little functions. Yeah, exactly. So th- there's many a ways you can do it in a cost-effective way. Islam is simple. Islam is natural. Mm. It is the most natural way of living. Men and women cannot live without each other. You know, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "We created you in Surah Yasin, uh, everything in pairs, including and fusahum between yourselves as well. We have created you in pairs." So men cannot live without women. I, I firmly believe this. Not in a in a toxic, codependent way, but men and women are symbiotic almost. And that symbiosis is what? You create you create children. It's beautiful, right? Of course. Only way to create children is man and woman. So men and women almost need each other. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has expedited this beautifully through nikah. Simple. Two witnesses, a wali, a proposal, an acceptance, a gift, a mahar. None of this hakmahar and all these things we do in our culture, which is fifty thousand pound wedding. They start you start the wedding on the back foot in, in fifty thousand pound debt, so brothers can't get married. In Bengali, we have khabin. Khabin, yeah, yeah. Khabin is like it's like a different type of mahar. And then, like in South Asians, we have this very bad culture where the bride side has to kit up. Yeah, the, the man. Huh? The man side. Yeah, yeah you got to give it. You and, have to, to kit up his yard and kit up her yeah. room and get all this furniture and re- no, brother. I don't know if it, if it happens in Pakistan, but in India and Bangladesh, bro. It becomes a, sh- a thing of shame that if the the bride's father is unable to buy her furniture, to buy her bed, to kit her up with the latest fridge and free. Yeah. But wallahi, I'm telling you, people have been shamed and stained. And you know, it's sad. I have people within my extended family back home who do this. And me and my older brother go up and think, why? Why are we still practicing this? Where does it say in Islam that the bride side and her father has to give something to the other side? This is purely from our pre-Islamic Hindu culture. Exactly. Just stop this. Exactly. Wallahi, stop this. And I'm saying this to our Bengali brothers and sisters. Stop this. 
we there is no onus on the on the bride's parents and her father to be kicking up next man's room and his yard. Exactly, and and and, and these are vestiges and remnants of Brahmic culture, yeah. which predated Islam. When Muhammad bin Qasim came, brought Islam to our lands. This should be Islam. So if culture if if culture contradicts Islam. Leave culture, and if culture harmonizes, it's cool. Exactly. If it complements it, like like it was in Gambia, West Africa, Hamza brothers practicing, you know, they wear their thobes and yeah. their and it's. Uh, West Africa is a big up to them, by the way. They 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 boss polygyny like yeah. no no other group of people in yeah. the Ummah, bro. Yeah. Like you know, West Africans, uh, I would say to South Asians, and there's because for us polygyny is very taboo, isn't it? Yeah. And again, that's linked to our pre-Islamic Hindu Brahmic culture, where you're devoted to one guy. Bichara dies, you die with him. Shave your hair, wear a white yeah, sari yeah, until, yeah, yeah, until yeah, your yeah. until your time's up. Yeah? And, and, and why do we wear red? Women wears red, and the guy wears a shirwani cream. Yeah. It's Brahmic culture. Yeah. It's uh, and and it, it goes back to by the way, colonial inferiority complex. Read the book by Dr. Franz Fenon called The Wretched of the Earth. How Britain colonized, you know, particularly you know, East India Company, in how they settled, and then settled in our minds, and the subjugation of Muslims, and the propping up of the the Brahmins in yes, India, absolutely, and subjugation of Muslims, and this was the whole philosophy of Jinnah to create a partition, which I don't believe in, by the way, but you know, to give Muslims a homeland, because Muslims were seen as lower caste compared to the Brahmins. Britain imperialism and that was never the case before the British came. Exactly, we were either competitors or the rulers of that land. We were the Mughals, right? Yeah, the Mughals, Mughals, and even the Delhi Sultanate, the Mamluks yeah, before that. Absolutely. So the point here is, there are certain culture regressive aspects, and I, and I and I and I use my words wisely because I feel that South Asians, because we make up the demographic majority in the UK, right? So there's four million of us, one point eight million are Pakistanis. So yeah. immediately, the biggest group of Muslims are Pakistanis, right? Yeah. Then the next biggest group is Bangladeshis. Just Bangladeshis and Pakistanis alone in the UK make up 60% of all Muslims. So I think we get a hard time sometimes, but we need to be just. In the case of Bengalis, uh, Bangladeshis, and maybe even Pakistanis to some extent, there are certain aspects of our cultures that we need to let go of. Yes. And there's certain aspects of our cultures that we need to harness and maintain yeah. because it's okay with Islam. And you'll find that across all cultures. One thing that bugs me, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, is this thing about living with brother-in-laws and living mm. in one household. Have you ever dealt with that? Uh, I have not personally, but I know it happens. And this is against Islam, right? He's he's your brother. Your husband's brother is your death. death. Exactly. Mot. It was mot. You can't get more explicit than that, yes. brothers and sisters. Prophet said, your husband's brother is your death. Yes. That's one brother-in-law. Now we're talking about living in a house where there's multiple brother-in-laws exactly. and their wives. And the thing is, bro, if you go back home, if you go back to my village in Silat, and I look at how my village home, the gram, the, the, the way the building's built, so there's five grandfathers. Brav, all the yards are together. So I'm looking, I'm like, Brav, at the peak of the time, it must have been some dramas. Because mm. you've got five brothers living next door, next door, next door. Not in the same house, but they, they have their, like, they, they, but the buildings together. And I know that happens across mm. the South Asia. Yeah. Again, we get that from Hindu culture. Yeah. We do not live with our brothers and sister-in-laws in the same yard, yeah, yeah. right? And it's a massive problem, yeah. right? Um, what would your advice be to those who still practice that in the UK? Islam is beautiful. Islam is the haq. It is the final revelation. It is final sharia. Islam, look, you can't impose 
culture on Islam, what you should do, impose Islam on culture. On whatever remains, keep that from the culture. What we're doing, we're imposing culture first on Islam, on whatever remains of Islam we're keeping. So no, do, do it all the way around. Impose Islam on the culture first, and if the culture, the cultural aspects, the cultural customs, if they pass the Islamic litmus test, that is Sharia compliant, keep it. Halas, mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. But if it doesn't, and it's, if it's diametrically opposed to what Islam teaches, mm. get rid of it. It's ASAP, like Hamar, for instance, when it was revealed, they just, the Sahaba put it in, you know, d- d- down the drains. Because mm. that, that was part of the culture, right? Po- yeah. Poetry and all these kind of things. And wine, drinking wine. Drinking wine, yeah. They just dropped it. So if the rulings are clear, if the ahkam of the Sharia are clear, and the culture opposes that, a rightful Muslim, a, a mindful Muslim, will absolutely stop that straight away. Now you're from the north where socioeconomically things are a bit cheaper than London. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's easier to live there. Yeah. It's, it's less costly. In London, life is hard, bro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, in terms of rent, in terms of the average salary, in terms of being able to get onto the property ladder in a halal way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how many of people are actually pursuing the halal way, but the point is life is expensive in yeah. London. So therefore, many brothers are left in a bit of a situation where they want to get married, mm-hmm. their head screwed on, Alhamdulillah, they're on deen. But they're not in a position to move out of their parents' home. Mm-hmm. You know? They're not in a position to put a deposit down for a yard or even put a deposit down to rent a house. And the only way they can do it is with a working wife. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's all of these variables that our forefathers didn't have to deal with. Yes. <laughs> these are new variables now. The, 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 the two-income household, the double-income household that... You can't actually attain a house, whether it's rent or by purchase, mm-hmm. necessarily unless you're on a sick job and you're getting 70, 80, 90K, mm-hmm. right? Even 50K is not enough for yeah, London yeah, these exactly. days. Brothers, it's like, well, I now need a wife who works. Mm-hmm. And a wife who works to attain those kind of relationship goals or marital goals to have our own space, whether it's rented or owned. It's just that there's lots of ingredients there that can mm-hmm. fester problems, yeah. right? Uh, are these things that you've dealt with? Absolutely. So, um, <coughs> so in terms of having a double income household, I think a lot of brothers are conceding to that. They, they're conceding as a matter of necessity. They wouldn't like their wife to work because they should be financially stable enough to marry. And Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has told us we are the maintainers and protectors of uh, and protectors of women. Kawamun. Yeah, kawamun alan We are, you know, because Allah has given us a daraja above them, and we should provide for them. But the necessity dictates economic situation, economic circumstances, hyperinflation, recession as well, cost of living crisis, all of that. Gas prices have gone through the roof. You know, subhanAllah, Bank of England interest rates are just massive. So brothers are compelled to allow their wives to work. So it's, it is a, it is an economic situation which I've dealt with in terms of my coaching clients as well. It's not something which is ideal. As a man, you should be able to provide. And this is what I do. Um, I coach my, uh, my guys. Be financially prudent. Be financially savvy, be financially successful, pray for barakah and your risk. Mm-hmm. You know, go like, be like the bird, go out and you know, get your risk. But a lot of men don't have these soft skills to do that. And this is why I work with a lot of men, giving them soft skills, elocution, articulation, interview preparation, dressing well. You know, a lot of brothers haven't never worn a suit or they don't know how to groom themselves and actually go for an interview to get a higher paying job. 
they've still got this mentality of I can be in a job which you know we all we all chip in my 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 father will chip in and you know my brothers will chip in in a pool pot but then these brothers are waking up to the ways of the salaf or the ways of Islam and they're understanding that you can't be living with your parents I need to get my own place so I guess that's a South Asian issue bro it is because, because I don't hear Turks having this no, problem no. I don't hear uh, Maghrebi Arabs having this problem I, I, again it's acutely yes, South Asian exactly right we're this kind of committee this big pot yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone chips in and you know what that's the, that's the pot and you know what bro there has been many success stories from mm-hmm. it I'm not going to take away from that yeah. right in Bedford in Luton in Birmingham in Bradford you hear of these stories where families have become very financially affluent because everyone chipped into this one big pot yeah. and you know it becomes like this resource for everyone yeah. however it's also caused nightmares yes it's caused breakdown yeah. in family uh, relationships it's, it's created wars within families mm-hmm. once you bring marriage into it it's brought women into the, the yes. equation now who are now saying hey you contribute more than your brother yeah. he contributes less yeah. shaft him there's yeah. all, not, not that i'm saying that they are the driving force behind those dramas i'm saying that it has its success stories and it also has its nightmares. Yeah. But it's not something that was necessarily practiced by the Sahaba, the Prophet yes, As in like you all get together and have one pool yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. and then also live under one broad umbrella household yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and then kind of just do that. Exactly, 100%. So it's very cultural. And you have to understand where this came from. This came from land preservation. Marry within culture, as in marry within your family, marry your cousin. So the land, because we have to give the land to the bride. Mm. Or she has to give it to us, you know, whichever culture you follow. But anyway, there's a land exchange as part of the dowry, as part of the hakmahar. They call it hakmahar, we call it mahar. There's an exchange of land, right? Or cattle or livestock. There's no physical, uh, you know, exchange of of, of, uh, liquidized cash. It's literally all assets are allocated to the bride or to the groom to keep that, to make that transaction um, in our favor, less marry within the family. So we're not giving so we're not giving these assets to outsiders. Exactly. So capital allocation, it all goes back to capital allocation and land and assets, exactly. You know, m- men have gone to war over this. And it's actually a very good speech by Mulana Tariq Jamili says, May Allah preserve him. Oh. I mean, he says brothers haven't gone to brothers' funerals because of their father past- you know, they haven't gone to their father's funeral because they land disputes, subhanAllah. Their father's body is still warm and they're not talking to each other. And, and they don't go to the janazah. Land disputes is something that's so common amongst our people, bro. Yeah. yeah. And again, I'm saying this because I don't know enough about other Muslim cultures. I can certainly speak about Pakistan, Bangladesh, India, and I have a Patan here who can maybe talk about that and Afghanistan as well. These land disputes, right, which is linked to marriage, right, and then we've kind of bought we bought those versions of it here. Yes. It, it, it can be destructive at times just because you have success stories yeah. doesn't mean there's there's a and you know sometimes I've I've seen it f- financially successful families that apply this model but under inside bruv there's so much drama yeah yeah exactly. there's so much animosity it's not worth it it's not hey, worth it you, you got you got to see is the fruit worth the squeeze yeah on the outside there might be a veneer of happiness but inside Subhanallah, so much tension. Mm-hmm. And what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? Mu'minun fi hashi'un. So su- successful are the believers, and then he qualifies that. The first thing he says, fi hashi'un. They have khushu in their salah. Can you really have khushu in your salah if you're beefing your brothers at home? You can't. Never, you can't even pray without screaming no. people in the house. So there's no khushu, there's no barakah. But there's a veneer of, yeah, we got 20 million pound committee pot. 
and bare yards and bare yeah, businesses. Yeah, exactly. So no, there's no barakah in that. There's no sukun. Allah SWT says, La tuskun alayha. Live with her in peace. You're not living with her in peace. You're living with her in and amongst five brothers, five other sister-in-laws, your own sisters, three brothers. I mean, one brother is enough. Exactly. Even and just one brother is enough. But also, we have the highest fertility rate, by the way, don't we? Yeah. I know it's declining, but I think Bangladeshi is number one, right, in yes, the UK. So it's like, is it? We are, we're 3.1. 3.1. Pakistan is either 2.9 or 2.8. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's always going to be three or four brother-in-laws, yeah, sister-in-laws, yeah. you know what I mean? And nephews and nieces as well. You can't have peace in the house. So we need to break away from this cultural paradigm which necessitates uh, intergenerational living. Yes, fair enough. If you're the eldest son, take your grandmother with you or your, your parents with you. That's, you know. I think eldest son and only son are an exception. Yes. I think there has to be some exception made for the eldest son and the, especially only son. Only son, only yes. son. I've always said uh, to female relatives who come for advice and, and even my wife gives advice to some of the female younger who are looking at Because if you're going to marry an only son, know that you're going to be very likely with the in-laws yeah. for, 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 foreseeable, for foreseeable time, yes. right? But this whole kind of like living with brother-in-laws and you know, this is something that, it's, it's, it's something we as a community have to tackle. It, it, and it, exactly, and it's like in medicine, they say you can't diagnose and cure a problem if you don't know the problem exists. Mm. You've got to know the problem exists first. And <coughs> you can use this from a micro level, i.e. a patient, to the macro lens of intercultural dynamics. We don't think the problem exists because we think it's normal. Oh, it exists. So uh, you know, uh, so uh, no. I mean, it, it exists, but they're not aware that this is a problem. So, uh, yeah. they, they're not aware that this is against Islam, right? Mm -hmm. They think culture and Islam are one of you know are one of the same, same as Zionism and Judaism. They think it's one of the same. But we, you know what it is? We've been too, we've been a lot affected by Bollywood culture as absolutely. well. Absolutely. I know watching all these uh, dramas, yeah. Um, I can't even name some of them, but I used to know some of the jokeman shows in Sony TV and, you know, seeing like 10 brothers on fire living in one massive courtyard, mm. in one massive mansion. Listen, that's not reality. It's the wrong aspiration. <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just a recipe for disaster. Exactly. And, and also this goes back to why a lot of marriages are breaking down, by the way. Yeah. Expectations are not grounded in Islam. Yeah. Islam gives you standards but also have low expectations. Standard is there. You should be a man in shape. You should be a woman who prays and covers. You should be a man who is on deen and provides and protects. Has Ghaida, is a protector, yeah. is a provider, is the captain of the ship, Absolutely. shows leadership, all of that kind of stuff. Exactly. And the sisters are the nurturers, the homemakers, the carers, and all of that. Yeah. So there's a standard and there's an expectation and then there's reality. Absolutely. Uh, and, and we flipped it. We've suppressed our standards because the men are out of shape, the women are following suit. But we've increased our expectations. Mad, isn't it? And this is a recipe <laughs> for discontentment. And what does Allah SWT say? al qanidina wal qanidate. The content for the content. Comparison is the killer of joy. <coughs> and discontentment is the pandemic of our time. So let's, let's talk a bit about expectations and standards, right? Um, living as Muslims in non-Muslim lands. Yeah. Uh, many of us are third, fourth generation now. Um, and it's inevitable that at some point, whatever trajectory and trends that are affected, uh, affecting the non-Muslims are going to eventually affect yeah. us. It might be 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later. Eventually, you're living amongst non-Muslims in their lands. Um, and by in their lands, I mean it is not the government and the rules and the culture and the society is not Muslim or Islamic. Yeah. And we came here as, uh, our forefathers came here as economic migrants. Many of them didn't even plan to stay for the long yeah. term. They decided they are, end up having children. We've settled here, here we are. 
divorce rates are increasing. Mm. Uh, marital issues are spiking like no times ever before. It is not uncommon now to have one or two or multiple divorces within one family, whereas before it's like, oh my God, like, like what wonderful. So, so we've gone from like one extreme, which is like everything related to marital issues becomes a taboo and a non-discussion. And a divorcee, uh, whether man or woman, but more so for the sisters, you know, it's just such a taboo. It's hidden away. It's a stain on the family. It's a yes. stain on the tribe. It's a stain on the qom. It's a stain on everything. Now we've gone to the other side, where we're practically taking marriage as a joke now, yes. right? And even in the courting process where we're seeking spouses, genuine perspectives, we're just taking a biscuit. As someone who's been in this uh, sector and, and been exposed to this, uh, what are your initial thoughts as the main cause of divorce amongst British Muslims? Good question. And having analysed the landscape for the last 10 years uh, in my coaching, the main cause is twofold, right? So I think that the first cause is a expectation and reality mismatch. Whether that's Bollywood, social media, there's expectation, reality mismatch. And secondly, what you mentioned there, osmosis. So these ideals are coming into our consciousness, our collective consciousness. You cannot go in a shower without getting wet. We are immersed, we are inundated with liberal ideas which contradict Islam and this is a hedonistic culture in many ways and longevity of marriage is no longer there because I think people have given up on institutional marriage of course they have they've given up and they say this proudly now yeah. so the UK I'm sorry to interject my brother that the UK has the highest one of the highest numbers of divorce rates yes. it has one of the highest rates of single parents mm -hmm. it has one of the highest rates of uh, people with multiple sexual mm -hmm. partners uh, hookup culture is the yes. norm, right? Yes. And here we are. And then we have that exacerbated vibe through social media. Mm. Boss lady, independence lady, um, men always being, uh, you know, walking on eggshells yeah. uh, to, to, to deliver so much, whilst actually in reality, there's so much against him. Yeah. You know, this, this is where we are. And, and, and our sisters and brothers are being exposed to that. Exposed to it. And it's, it's, the, it's the perfect recipe for disaster. So you've got Brahmic culture, of the South Asians. South Asians. Mixed with liberal culture of the West. So it's like a double whammy. So both contradict Islam, by the way. So you're having Islamic marriages, uh, or sorry, you're having Muslim marriages, which aren't Islamic. Mm -hmm. so two Muslims, ostensibly Muslim, but their marriage is not Islamic. Because in Islam, it's very simple, right? Man is a Rajal, a woman is the Nisa, he leads her. You know, we've got the best example in Musa al-Islam in the Quran. He led his family from Madian back to Actually, the Pharaoh yep. and he saw the fire. He said, let me stay here. I'm going to go see what's there. He went to danger himself. And that's when Allah called him, right? Yep. In the Wali of Tuwa. Left them there and Left. he went there himself. Exactly. A man is courageous. And what does one of the women say to her father in the Quran about Musa al-Islam? He is Qawi and Amin. Yes. Qawi is strong, right? Yes. Men are not strong now. Physically strong. And why does are this- Are they mentally strong though, bro? No. It's, it's a link, by the way. Because you can get a guy with a massive tid, yeah. right? And he's not in shape, but, but he could still have... No, he could still, still have, but, but, but there is a link, though. The link is in testosterone. Testosterone is a muscle-building hormone, and it's in precipitous decline. And that's affecting your executive functioning as a man, because testosterone affects your cognitive uh, faculties, right? Your ability to focus and think and execute. Musa al was the executor. He literally went 
got the livestock, fed them water, you know, gave them water, gave them back. Didn't was was indecisive. Yeah. Men now are indecisive, hundred percent. They often stay in marriages, which they've outgrown, and there's a difference between wasting time and sabr. But you should have gone back to the marriage in the first place. These brothers and sisters were, were mismatched. They didn't have compatibility counseling, coaching. There was no vetting, psychological assessments pro- properly done. And this is what I teach my clients. Uh, you know, the, you know, mainly men, right? You get in shape psychologically, mentally, spiritually, physically, financially, and then. Or even if you're on a journey, have ambition, have nikah at the same time, and then inshallah you grow together. Not the misplaced priorities of I'm delaying nikah for the wedding. Mm. You should not declare, de- uh, delay, uh, delay nikah for the wedding. You're, you're, you know, we met Achi Ayman yesterday. He, he spoke about his, his nikah previously. A few brothers, order some food, small thing, yeah. pizza, whatever. You can actually have a nikah in a coffee shop. Islam teaches simplicity. Yeah, but Habibi, he, he look here yeah, with respect. Yeah, he he doesn't have to live with the culture that that, that we exactly. have to. Exactly. Yeah, he is a Kurdish brother, mm. and there's not that much of that emphasis there. Yeah, you know how Desis move, bruv. You know how South Asians move. Yeah. Particularly, you know how Pakistanis move. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. The gadiyan, the rentals, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the 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 food, the 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 food provider. Ostentation. Yeah, it's, it, it's a big thing. It's a big thing. It's a big thing, bruv. Uh, and, and this is what I say to a lot of my clients. In fact, majority of my clients. You're preparing for your wedding day to be a groom, but you're not preparing to be a husband. Sah. And that's a shame, isn't it? It's the that same with the women, by the way. The sisters are preparing to be a bride and not a wife. 100%. How do you prepare to be a, uh, a, a, a wife and a husband? From the Quran, from the Sunnah, from the Sharia, from the Sahabiyat, if you're a sister, from the uh, Sahaba, if you are a, a brother, from Rasul from the Quran itself. You prepare to be a, a, a man who will eventually be a provider, a res- respect, respectful and respectable man, a rajal, through the Quranic blueprint, not through Bollywood and dramas and you know social media. Social media. I say something, bro. You know, <clears throat> I do believe now more than ever before, brothers need to be doing some kind of physical activities. Yes. If it's not weights, if it's not running, if it's not combat sport, you need to be challenging yourself some way or shape or form yeah. because the nature of the rajal the nature of the man is that he has to be challenged Absolutely. he needs to be put in sticky situations to get the best out of him yeah. and this is the sunnah of all the anbiya yes of course if we accept that the best of men to have walked this earth were the prophets of allah every single one of them were challenged absolutely every single one of them were put in situations where it was undesirable difficult yeah. challenging and allah gave them victory absolutely right so I have always said this, especially with my brother Aki, me, me and my brother Aki, because you know he's he's done psychology and counselling and stuff like that. I find him to be a bit, uh, you know, sorry Zoe, uh, I find him a bit more compassionate towards men. I'm a bit more harsher towards the brothers. Yeah, we'll get to the sisters soon, but I but I I, I like focusing on the brothers more. Yeah, of course. Because if the captain of the ship is all over the place, Absolutely. that ship's going to sink. Exactly. Yeah. And if you don't even understand what the nature of being a captain is before you take over a ship, halas. Exactly. Goodbye, God bless. Absolutely. In the courting period, yeah. if your question, if the questions you're asking a sister is, what do you do during your downtime? And if the sister's telling you, I like baking, but I don't cook. Mm. The, red flags? M- massive red flags. Massive red flags. The, the questions you need to be asking, do you find I make a good relationship advisor? I think you do, bro. <laughs> we, we, we can join the team, inshallah. The questions you need to be asking is, for the sisters, is do you have a temper? Yeah. What does that temper look mm. like? How do you resolve arguments? What are the expectations you have of me in the house? Yeah. 
if I'm living with your mum or a sister, what do those chores look like, mm -hmm. right? Everyone likes talking about rights. Everyone's become a people of rights. They don't talk about responsibilities. They don't talk about responsibilities. As if rights is the basis of marriage. No, rights are, is the skeleton. Yes. Can humans survive merely as bones? No. The flesh is the responsibilities, yeah. the mercy, the compassion. Ask the right questions. Well, lie, the, the things that I hear. Um, a brother, a oh, brother, I married her and then I realized she doesn't wear hijab. She only wore hijab for like when we linked up. I like on the wedding day. She doesn't wear hijab, bro. Oh, bro, she has, um, uh, she has not, she has guy friends. Guy friends. Yeah, yeah. And the other way around, yeah, sister marries. The brother doesn't pray. Oh, okay, what did you forget to ask him? They will be praised. Why do we need to hold each other's hands, yeah. right, into a journey into marriage? And I think one of the four conditions that Prophet Sallam said to, to seek is a deen. Of course. So marry liken like each other. Yeah. Why is a super practicing brother marrying a, a sister that's not? It's a and vice versa. Mismatch. Why is a super practicing sister marrying a brother who's on no. his journey? Subhanallah, exactly that. <laughs> and what does Allah Subhanahu wa Taala say? In the context of, of Aisha yeah. of course, but the the context can be lifted and applied to us like for like. And this is what I said to the brothers, bro, you're not even praying. You can't expect a Nikabi sister. 100%. You're mental. Exactly. You're mental. Brother, if you're not praying and you're not on your deen and you want some sister to come fix you up, as in someone to mummy you into yeah. your deen, but you might as well forget about it. You're gonna ruin that sister's life. Exactly. Now, there may be one or two success stories, yeah. right? Take it. There might be one or two, but but the reality is, you shouldn't be seeking that wife. The sister is not your savior. The brother is not your savior. He, he is not here to to push you on the journey. You should be on the journey independent of him because you're gonna go into your own cupboard. You know, you sh you, sh you should be on the journey independent of him. And we are releasing a a marriage book for the brothers. You know, a, a good guide how to become a better husband. Because, like you said, the onus is on the brothers, right? The 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 problem of the ummah is in the weakness of men. If if the men are weak, sisters become strong to to fill that power vacuum. Subhanallah. And, and we're seeing real men do exist in Gaza. They do exist. They exist in and Gaza. The they exist in Palestine. They exist in Kashmir. They exist in Afghanistan. They exist amongst the Uyghurs. Yes. Real men exist within the Ummah and they're dying for this religion mm -hmm. to uphold the very values and laws that we are not even understanding or applying here in the West, exactly. quite frankly. You know, they say comfort kills a man. Uh, comfort kills a man, uh, but di a discomfort makes him. And it's the opposite for a woman. Discomfort kills a woman, comfort makes her. Mm. You want the woman to be protected, not traumatized. You want the man to have gone through something. So he's made. It's a Greek saying, by the way. Man is a sculptor. He's, you know, he, he's his own sculptor. Physically, mentally, he should, be, he should be his own sculptor. And a lot of brothers, and I speak to the brothers directly, a lot of brothers are looking for a sister to save them. SubhanAllah, she's not your saviour. Brother, you're going to go to your own cupboard before. No, no. She's not your therapist. She's not your second mom. She's your wife. You must guide her. You must be the rajal. You, you, know, you, you are the qawi on amin. The strong, faithful man with integrity. And the fact that these brothers, subhanAllah, want a second mother, it's actually called the Oedipus complex in Greek mythology, right? Oedipus got jealous of his, uh, of, of his father because he was in love with his mother. I want to I comment to something on this because I've seen, again, I, I believe it's more prevalent amongst South Asians, mm -hmm. right? And that's because 
Lardle, you know what Lardle is, yeah? yeah, yeah there, there is a Lardle culture in in, in and you know, especially for a boy. Uh, yeah, the boy is, you know, he's 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 mollycoddled. He's yeah. put on a he's put on a pedestal. You know, he's given extra love. There'll be there'll be clear case of even zulm, where he can literally get away with murder, mm-hmm. and the sisters are just given a hard time. Literally, the sisters become servants of the brothers. And look, look, there is there is <coughs> there is a beauty in in sometimes in this. My sisters mollycoddled me. My sisters loved me to bits, and there's three brothers. We were all molly cuddled. My mum, for sure, dealt with me differently, and the brothers the way she did with dealt with them. But as we became more aware of what Islam dictates yes. and what Islam demands, we realized, oh, hold on here, the sisters got a hard deal out here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My sisters got a hard deal out here. We had like three mums. I had my mum and then three sisters that were like mm-hmm. a mum, and the brothers were there was, um, and it can be toxic. Mm-hmm. It can ingrained grievances yes to the extent when parents pass away sisters are expected to give their inheritance away there's many yeah there are cases of this and i believe and i can't comment on other cultures but i can comment on the south asian culture where there's positive aspects where you know we love our parents Mm -hmm. the respect for our parents the love for our mother Mm -hmm. right where in other cultures maybe you know you deal with the mother that's you know just like heavy she's just a mother yeah mm-hmm. whereas you will find amongst South Asians there is a particular love for the mother yes, yes. there's a particular elevation of the yeah. mother sometimes maybe a bit too disproportionate yeah. extreme at times yeah. the way it affects marriages I get all of that but I'm just saying that we do need a bit of a cultural wake-up yeah exactly we have beautiful aspects of our culture yeah. and it goes back to what you say those aspects of culture which does not go against Islam preserve it yeah. harness it yeah. teach it maintain it but those aspects Aspects which are toxic and goes against it, mm. allow it. Exactly. Yani let it go. Islam came to purify. Sah. Islam came to also preserve in many aspects what is not against man's fitrah. Literally, you can see Islam as, you know, literally, as in literally and linguistically, Islam means, you know, taslim, silm, submission. The moon is a Muslim. This lamp is a Muslim because it's doing what it's supposed to do. It's created for this all. But we think of it in a in a in a metaphysical way. We were created for submission, and if you submit to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala's book, then you are Muslim. Do not go against because the moon does not go in its own orbit. By the way, the moon does not go off. The sun does not go off. Mm-hmm. They are in their orbit. So we should also be in in our orbit as well. It's not celestial orbit, but in our orbit of our fitrah. Once you go against that, once you understand Islam. Is is a divine revelation for you to live the optimal life? Then, honestly, you'll see culture so differently. Mm-hmm. We've 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 given the brothers a hard time. Let's just look a bit focused on that, on on the state of uh, Muslim sisters, Muslim women, um, and there's two aspects I want to talk about as we bring the podcast to a close, and that's the issue of tabaruj mm-hmm. and dayuth. Now, a dayuth, as per the hadith, are men. Who will taste hellfire? Yes, um, and these are men who lack or do not have mm. protective jealousy That's over right. their women for yeah. not just their wives, primarily their wives, but their mothers, their sisters, their daughters, their aunts, mm-hmm. and their wives. Right. So a dayuth is someone that'll be. I'll put a hadith at the bottom. Um, are those who lack ghayra. Ghayra is protective jealousy. Tabarruj is someone who women who beautify themselves excessively beautify themselves and this is a culture and this is an aspect uh, where islam has a very clear position on both yes on the men who are dayuth on men who should have ghayra mm-hmm. and the women who are tabarruj how big of an issue is this 
in the relationships that you're dealing with or the breakdown of relationships that you're dealing with? Yeah, so in in the context of my coaching, the men tend to be blaming the women for the baraj, but they're not seeing their own weaknesses as the youth. Mm-hmm. As in, they have no self-awareness. But in terms of the baraj being a thing, absolutely. We've seen a proliferation of selfie culture. <laughs> you know, Snapchat, TikTok, me, 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 nafsi, 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 me, 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 selfie culture. And particularly damaging to the sisters because of psychology. Understand the psychology of validation first. Dopamine, serotonin, etc. <coughs> Women are more prone to emotionality. They're more prone to feeling satisfied from external validation. Men, you know, both me and yourself have been in the firing line. We've got thick skin, alhamdulillah. Women don't have that. They are more prone to trolling, as in more prone to the negative effects of trolling. And it can affect the major. Exactly. So, and, but they're also more prone to the positive aspects of validation. So the Baraj culture, subhanAllah, has been amplified. It's taken off with selfie culture. As soon as the smartphone, was, you know, we, we grew up similar kind of time period. 3210, 3310. Yeah, 3310, 7210, yeah. all that kind of, no, no cameras on them, by the way. If you had to go to uh, get a photo, you had to go to Jessup's photo booth. Yeah. Now, subhanAllah, pictures daily, you can get them. Good quality, you know, DSLR standard uh, pictures and filters on top of that. And then makeup industry is booming, multi-billion pound industry. SubhanAllah, this is a recipe for Tabaraj and sisters have fallen into the trap of it. But why have they fallen into the trap of it? The men haven't protected them properly. It all goes back to the men, SubhanAllah. What is one of the eschatological signs of the coming of the hour. When men start moving like women and women start moving like men. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of them. But also the the jal. Mm. We talk about you know um, hasbara, deception, mm. Zionism. It all fits in very nicely, alhamdulillah. Islam all makes sense, right? From a meta point of view, from a meta lens, it all makes sense. Deception. Rasul says you don't want to be alive during that time because there's a big biggest fitter now we'll ever have, right, by the way. Biggest trial of mankind's, you know, yajuj, majuj. Yeah, cause, you don't want to be around that. Causing time. havoc on the land. Yeah, yeah. The jal, yeah. the antichrist. But w- an interesting hadith, an uncomfortable hadith, you know, is majority of its followers will be women. And a man will, Rasulullah says, well, a man will uh, be so afraid of women going in the evening, uh, you know, going out in the morning and, and, and going, you know, uh, if in the morning being believers and in the evening Connecting becoming back excuse. followers of the Jal. So he, he, he'll want to lock them up. Why is this though? Because women are more prone to being impressionable. You see all cults, right? Heidi Krishna, Jim, you know, Jim Jones, all these guys, majority women, right? Yeah. It's true. Yeah, yeah. Majority women. Because they're more, this is the way Allah subhanahu wa created them. They are more impressionable because they want to be led. But they may not leading. So they're following the trends of, social, of, of society, of social media. But the, the uh, onus goes on men. So you're saying we were in a situation where in the absence of strong, assertive, practicing god-fearing islamic men there's a vacuum now where women where sisters whether by choice or not are having to fill that void absolutely and that's happening in marriages are you saying as it well? is it's happening in marriages and look for instance if you take your ch- child to the in a candy shop or a sweet shop and you give him your contactless honestly he, he or she will rack up a big bowl they'll just get everything right they have no control they have no sense of guidance whose role is it to guide them the parents, regulations. In Islamic marriage, the beautiful system of Islam, a man is supposed to guide his, his flock, right? This is a hadith, by the way. You are the flocks, you yeah. know, your shepherds and flocks. 
if a man lacks guidance himself, he's not praying, he's not in shape, he doesn't follow the akam of the sharia, he's not a strong man, he's a the youth. Of course a woman is going to display signs of tabarraj. And how important is the issue of ghayrah? Because again, there's very explicit statements, especially related to Sa'di bin Mu'ad radiallahu mm-hmm. anhu, who said that if I saw my wife with another man, I would strike him with my sword with the sharp side. And this went back to the Prophet Sallam. And uh, there are different narrations. One narration said the Prophet Sallam said that then I think there was one either we will account you mm. or we will kill you or something. Mm. And there's another one where he didn't actually abscond Sa'ad ibn Muad for having that ghayrah. Mm-hmm. But he said, I have more ghayrah and Allah has more ghayrah than mm-hmm. us. So this is something that's firmly there within our yeah. deen. Yeah. Um, can there ever be a toxic nature? Of Absolutely. And I'm from a Pakhtun culture. And the khaira is cultural. We've got Pakhtun Walgi, which is a man, if a man looks at his sister or his wife, he will kill the man. This is from Jahiliyyah. So we have khaira, of course, but a compassionate kind of khaira in terms of with the other person, you, you, you're not in charge of his gaze, but you are in charge of your flock. Look at the flock first. Have your own house in order first. And, and this is the khaira we should uphold. You can't control what people look, but you, you, can, you can control what's on display. You can, you can control what's being looked at. So have this ghira. And what does jahil, jahil mean? Jahiliya means impetuousness. Mm. They were, in the Arabs would strike anyone. The Pashtuns still strike anyone. SubhanAllah, it happens, right? This is, again, we talk about culture. Toxic culture is also prevalent amongst us as well. You know, yes, we've got the big beards, etc. But tox, toxic culture is still there because the culture was a thousand, a thousand of years, right? And it predates Islam. Yeah, Islam is relatively recent. A thousand years, <coughs> let's say, in the, in the South Asian peninsula. So culture is very strong. The vestiges, the remnants of culture are very, very strong and very apparent. So Hira must come from Islam, not from culture. Because anything that comes from culture, which is, takes Islam to the extreme, is not, you know, it's a bit as well. Mm. It's a bit that we are not Khwarij. We, we're not, you know, we're not extremists in that sense. We follow the beautiful middle path, balance between fear of Allah and love of Allah SWT, balance between, uh, you know, um, uh, punishment and rahm. We are, you know, we're not the people that turn on the cheek. Rahm, rahm, rahm. We're not them people. We're not the people that also punish and are severe. We're not the people that completely engage in dunya and become hedonistic. We're also not the people that go into the mountains and become monks. So, Ummat al-Wasat. Yeah, Ummat al-Wasat. Beautiful path. And yeah. Surat al-Mustaqim, eh? Middle path. So we are, we are the beautiful middle path who have dunya in their hands, not in their heart. I will ask you five quick questions and we're going to wrap the podcast up. I ask you to keep the answers as brief as possible. I know that's unfair. I want to give you five bits, uh, five bits of advice I need for people who find themselves in the following situation. A brother or a sister who have married and have realized afterwards that, they, that their spouse have friends of the opposite gender. I would, again, it's, like Brother Hamza says, it's better to err in the rahm than it is to err in aggression or you know in in volume we don't want to do volume right i would say these are you know we didn't discuss this before marriage but this is non-negotiable you cannot have guys or girlfriends if you're a guy of the opposite gender this must stop right now uh, but obviously you say it in a, dip- a diplomatic way in a way which you portray and assert your your viewpoint but framed in islamic goodness of conduct when you mentioned earlier that people outgrow marriages yes so 
when is the right time for to discuss and contemplate divorce when there's issues in a marriage? I, I think I think when you know it's when the the arguments exceed the peace. You know, there will be arguments, but if it's a 60-40 split, there's more arguments than peace, then I think that's a discussion to be had. Also, if you're regressing, mentally you're regressing, physically you're regressing, spiritually you're regressing. Either or, and you're outgrowing them, they're not on the journey at the same time as you or the same speed as you, then it's, you know, you can. And sometimes, look, you know, marriage, it is a sunnah al that's a big sunnah. Sometimes, but it's not, it's not wajib, right? Sometimes divorce is wajib, by the way. Sometimes divorce is actually mandated for you. If it's an abusive marriage, whatever, divorce is followed upon you. And if it's destructive in your deal. Exactly. So th these are the cases where... What's your advice to a brother who has difficulties managing the relationship between his mom and his wife and his sisters? I would say know each one's responsibilities, responsibilities and roles. At the end of the day, you will answer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Dispense your responsibilities to each of them in a Islamic way. Do not do a dhulam. Uh, assert your boundaries, ground them in Islam, and at the same time, be you know, be diplomatic, and you've got to have nuance and sophistication. Do not be emotional about these things. But also, you know, it's not mutually exclusive to be a good son and a good husband and a good brother. You can be all of them. There's no mutual exclusivity here. So trying to be all of them, but grounded in what the Prophet ﷺ was, you know, in terms of good husband and a good uh, father and a you know a good cousin, for instance. Three biggest red flags for sisters when they're seeking a spouse. A guy who doesn't pray, a guy who has no intention to get in shape, and a guy who's disrespectful to his parents. Three major red flags for brothers when they're seeking a spouse. A sister who doesn't pray, a sister who doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't respect men, as in has a bad relationship with men overall, has a negative connotations of men, all men are trash, etc. Uh, the whole femi feminazi brigade and a third thing is and this is very strong but it's so true a woman who mixes and has friends of the opposite gender dr Asif, it was an absolute pleasure having you on Dilly, pleasure may allah bless you and preserve you i mean may allah help you overcome your adversaries I mean. and the challenges that you're facing my dear brother i mean thank you for having me pleasure it was an honor was all mine bro Brothers and sisters and friends, I hope you all thoroughly enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. There's lots to unpick, lots to reflect upon. If you like this episode, do remember you can find it on all the major audio platforms. If you're watching via YouTube, remember to click subscribe to the Five Pillars YouTube. Until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.